0: I went back to Matt Minnetola's house the next day. Dave Kaufman and I went and filmed a little episode of all his blood pythons and stuff. And I was getting riled up about something. I don't remember what the topic was now, but I cussed. And Matt was like, I don't think I agree with everything that you just said, but I feel so much better because you just swore. I do do what, like clickbait type stuff? Like you do do. I do do. -do 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 We
1: all thought that...
0: Welcome
2: to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. The Ground Up podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. Just one thing that I wanted to get out there kind of before we started is that obviously you guys know it's been all over the place. These Amazon fires. And if you guys have seen a prior guest of the podcast, Paul Rosalie, he's been going nonstop doing different, you know, different media, different TV, stuff like that on the news all over the place talking about us. So please check out him on Instagram, Facebook, and support everything he's doing because he's really giving a voice out there to the people of the Amazon, the animals of the Amazon, and really just to our environment as a whole. So I'd like you guys to at least Check out what he's doing and support what he's doing. Other than that, we do have some animals available. Still have some king snakes. And of course, we have a whole bunch of corn snakes going on. And uh, other than that, that's pretty much all I have to for you today because I want to get our guests on here. They are two alumni of the podcast previously. We have Garrett Hartle of Reach Out Reptiles and Brian Cusco of Triple B. And they have started a new podcast called Searchable as Reptiles. Fellas, welcome to the show, and as someone who is a host of a podcast with a super ambiguous name, um, what is up with your name? How'd you get your name?
0: Oh, oh man, Garrett, that's the it's first question. Fault. It's Garrett's what fault. Is, it is my fault. It's Brian's idea, though. We'll put it that no, way. No, it's
3: Garrett's idea, but his fault too. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, was, it was my idea to make it the name. He's the one that came up with the name without knowing he was coming up with the name when he came up with it exactly he was talking he was talking about how he wanted it to be able to be you know found because we we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff that's not necessarily reptiles but he wanted it to be something that you could find if you search for reptiles he's like as long as it's searchable as reptiles and then he kept talking about blah 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 and i stopped and my mind was like that's it it's searchable as reptiles and then I exactly asked everybody else so it's, it's
0: my it. fault because i said whatever the name of the podcast is it should be searchable as reptiles and then brian was like that's, that's the name And as like a marketing guy, I think that's a terrible name, but it's Brian. So I ran with it. He also thinks that my logo is horrible.
3: (laughs) His his dad, who's a professional animator and artist for a living, saw my logo and was like, what logo is that? That's really good.
2: He's uh,
0: terrible at marketing, though, by the way.
2: (laughs) Well, that's what I think the the interesting (laughs) dynamic is, is the fact that I feel like Garrett is more of a marketing mind, a business mind, and then Brian is more of kind of art as well. But I mean, a bunch of that crosses over, I feel. Because obviously, you can't be accidentally good at, you know, successful as a business person making your own income. And Garrett, you wouldn't be putting out all the content you can if you didn't have a creative mind.
0: True. Yeah, we definitely have different
2: strengths.
3: I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with you on the first part. I think that if I'm successful in business, it's definitely an accident.
2: I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me because I've been doing all this all these things, and business has never just fallen in my lap and uh I've been successful, but Garrett, so kind of talk a little bit about you know your dynamic there, and then obviously that first episode was on business, so that's kind of a I feel like that's kind of a taboo subject in the reptile hobby.
0: Yeah. Honestly, I, we were just running with that. Um, I think the reason the first episode was on business was cause Brian was tired cause he just hosted carpet fest. So I talked more and kind of took it and ran with it. <laughs> we well, were, but,
3: we're uh, having lunch with with the family right before it. And you were asking Hillary what she would like to hear about if she was, you know, cause she's not in the, the reptile hobby industry at all, other than by being oh. related through family. But so she, I think she mentioned something about she'd like to hear about the business side of it and, and whatnot.
0: You know, this is a good point to spotlight a couple of Brian's strengths. The first one, Joe, you got a taste of it as we were getting ready for the podcast, is that Brian is much better on the uh, video and audio production side. And then the second one is that he remembers things, and I don't. So those are those are Brian's strengths that he brings. So uh, obviously you guys weren't here before the show, but Brian was kind
2: of whipping Garrett into shape, getting his mic ready and his headphones and all that good stuff. So I thank Brian Cusco for the audio quality on this. If episode. we
3: weren't separated by a whole country, I would have been physically whipping him. It's true.
0: <laughs> we haven't gotten that far just while we happen to be together yet, but I'm sure it'll get there.
2: Yeah, it's, it's going to happen. How did you guys first meet each other?
3: Tim O'Reilly suggested that Garrett should be somebody I meet and that I should be somebody Garrett meets when I was hanging out at Prehistoric Pets one day. And he showed me a picture. He's like, that guy right there. I was like, all right, well, we're go- we were both going to Tim So I was like, I'll just send a message out and say, hey, Tim said that we should meet. And since Garrett has, we both hold Tim in fairly high regard. Um, we both agreed that we should at least give that a try. And apparently Tim was right.
0: Yeah, Tim, Tim O'Reilly. For those who don't know him, is uh, I mean, he's in charge of kind of the back room operations at Prehistoric Pets, and he's just one of those salt of the earth kind of people. Give the shirt, you know, give you the shirt off his back, sort of a dude. Um, and he and I always got along really well with that kind of stuff. We we really appreciate each other's company, and I don't know, just he's just like a good blue collar guy, you know, not too worried about. What everybody else is doing stays out of the drama, and uh, so we had a lot of fun together. And I, I apparently uh, Brian connected with him in the same way, and he was just sort of like, "Yeah, hey, you get to need to know Garrett," which is funny because that whatever it was that Tim saw, you know, uh, is definitely like the main thing that that connects Brian and I because I don't know, Brian and I are are very. Dislike in many, many ways. I don't think there's a lot that we do the same or agree the same on at all. And, uh, you know, what we share in common is, uh, I don't know, we both have a lot of kids. We both <laughs> are down to earth, you know, kind of people. And uh, we both like reptiles. Other than that, everything is completely opposite, which makes it really fun because, you know, I can tell him things that he can try that are new and he can tell me things that I can try that are new. And so it's definitely expanding both of us. And and we're I don't know, at least me, I don't know about you, Brian, but it's been a fun ride for me, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I mean,
3: I'm sure you remember the first time that we had to part, uh, I was the one that was shedding tears. You seemed to be okay with it.
0: I kissed him, though. I did kiss him. Yeah. (laughs) My wife was looking at me pretty weird. She's like, "Uh, you don't kiss a lot of people. So (laughs) yeah, we, we met at a reptile show. So it was at Tinley Park, you know, after Tim said that we should meet up and I, Brian, I think you reached out to me beforehand and said, Hi, my name is Brian. Tim said we should meet. I figured that's good enough for me. And and we did. We kind of worked together on some stuff. I think we did an interview of Kimberly Paws yeah, that weekend. That, was that that first time? Yeah. I, I, I think I was it was.
3: Interviewer. You were planning. interviewer. It's like, why don't you just interview her and I'll film it and, and edit it? And
0: The crazy thing is. is, I think we talked about doing that Saturday night or Sunday, and it seemed like we had already known each other for a long time, even though it had been like 48 hours.
1: Yeah,
3: I don't know how that worked. Unless I'm totally
0: remembering that wrong. Is there something to the fact that,
2: I mean, you're two guys who have taken the leap in doing reptiles full-time, and you got to be a certain individual or at least to a certain commitment level to get to that point, and you guys aren't directly competing also?
0: Yeah, I that, mean, that helps.
3: We're helped. definitely not directly competing. Well, I mean, sometimes we're not directly. I feel like every time we're together, we're, we're like constantly competing. <laughs> <laughs> we're
0: not over, not those, getting, over nothing. Over nothing, yeah. <laughs> that's always
3: a competition going on (laughs) (laughs) that
0: that is true uh no i I mean i i think it's that i don't know if that's why we uh got together and formed a friendship that we have but that's definitely kind of what we're able to talk about when we get together Is kind of what's going on with you what's going on with me and we're we're living sort of parallel lives on the opposite sides of the country from different perspectives so it is you know makes for good conversation anyway
2: do you guys ever talk about like uh, creating content and that kind of stuff? you ever bounce things off each other?
3: Garrett mostly thinks of things for me to do as far as content. <laughs> and uh, I usually say he, he comes up with so much stuff for me to do. I don't even do all of it, but I do a fair amount of it because they're usually good ideas. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, it's a good thing you thought of that, which goes back to the first thing I thought when I first met Garrett was that this guy is way more intelligent than me. And it was a little bit intimidating at first. I don't feel that way anymore, also I just, yeah, I, also premature <laughs> judgment, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I realized that there was certain aspects what to his point earlier the aspects that I'm not very I don't where my strengths kind of are not strengths where my weaknesses are are the things that Garrett's strong in like with, with business and marketing and and that kind of stuff uh, I feel I'm pretty weak at, but he's he's really good at, so it kind of helps balance out me as a person. I'm trying to get him to learn how to not work super hard all day long and remember to take a break and and i'm trying to to get ryan
0: up off of his butt to get to work sometimes (laughs) it's such a load of crap i was here early ready to go (laughs) only because i was working so hard i am a multitasking guys this is the first time i sat you had nothing else to do
3: (laughs) no i planned i planned this into the schedule i barely made it back in time because i was dropping off snakes at fedex And I was busting my butt today. After I'm done with this, I'm going to continue to bust my butt, but you can go ahead and talk all the crap you want.
0: (laughs) I love you, Brian.
2: Well, for the people who I think the, the biggest thing as far as people looking to people like yourselves is the fact that people want to do this full time. You know, they want to do reptiles or, you know, obviously Garrett, you're more on the breeding side, Brian, you're more on the creative side and you breed as well. I mean, what does a typical day look like? I mean, I know Brian gave me a little bit of rundown of his day. And it was pretty, this dude hasn't even eaten today. And then I want to hear, Garrett, a little bit of your uh, day in the life as well.
0: Ugh. um. Okay, well, I want to hear Brian's day of the life. Did we do that? Did we record that? No, yeah, go ahead, Brian. Well, today, I don't
3: have a typical day. There's no such thing as a typical day for me other than, you know, making sure that the animals have fresh, clean water and that they're clean. Other than that, there's nothing typical. And even that's not typical because sometimes I'm gone and I have my buddy Jalen here washing over stuff. So that's not, that's no such thing as a typical day. I'll tell you what I did today is that I woke up at 545. I did a little playing around with uh, getting some videos together that I knew, like, Getting footage up that I needed to edit later and have it kind of render and putting together multi cam clips and what stuff like that. And then got a hold of you so we could do a little test run on this thing and make sure things were going to go smoothly. Then I went for a bike ride with my uncle up a mountain, which was awesome. And I made a point of making sure that I did that because if I don't make time to do things like that, then I would just be working all the time. And I know it's important to not just work all the time and do things like ride a bike with your uncle up a mountain. So that was part of today. And then I proceeded to, uh, Move stuff out of storage because we wanted to get rid of our storage space. So I made a couple of dump runs today with my cousin. He has stuff he needs to get rid of too. And then, uh, you know, playing with the kids in between that a bit and mostly preparing for the, the podcast too. Like in my mind, oh, I dropped the snake off. I dropped the pair of snakes off um, at FedEx as well, which is about an hour round trip because I just don't trust the drivers to pick them up from the house and get them there in a timely fashion. So I just like to get down there myself. Um, that happened. But this this weekend was the San Jose Reptile Show, so I was at a reptile show this all, all weekend, which was awesome as well. And uh, yes, yeah,
0: Scott Poulter said you made him cry.
2: Well,
3: that's I, I
0: think he was ready to cry
3: on his own.
2: All right, I'm sure you're right. So Brian, can you knock up your audio a little bit? Sorry, I told the oh they, yeah, they, no problem. But uh, not, but Garrett, am I good? What is, um, yeah, I got to wait kind of until Garrett talks. I'm just kind of comparing you two by ear since I can't see. <laughs> That's <too much>. Okay. <laughs> no, man, you sound, you sound fine just a tiny bit, but Garrett, what's your typical day in the life as a retick breeder?
0: Honestly, it's different stuff than Brian's, but like you said, it's, it's different every day. So, um, I'm on East coast, so I've kind of, I, I like to wake up early, but I don't do it anymore because just the, the time zone that we're in, I'm sure you've noticed this with your recent move, Joe. You know, you get people hitting you up all night long because they're West Coast and stuff. So I I kind of sleep in. I started work. I uh, got up at 8. I had to make an hour round trip to go pick up Aiden, um, my employee brought him back here so that he could get started cleaning with the reptiles. And I, I, uh, he's a great employee, but he, he's not at the point where I would allow him to handle like any of the larger or, you know, uh, I don't know, feistier animals. We have a lot of like wild caught stuff here that we work with and everything. So I don't let him get hands on with those as much. Um, so I have to rotate those out for him. And then in the middle of doing that, I, I start doing that stuff. So one of the bigger developments in my business is that I brought on Kimberly pause who we mentioned before to, uh, actually help kind of handle the volume of inquiries that we're getting as the dwarf and superdwarf market is, is exploding right now. Um, so she's kind of, uh, bouncing a lot of emails and, and just trying to make sure that everybody gets a response and, and, you know, she has my ears as, as to whatever is important. So I've been kind of helping her jump through a massive, I think the, we started with like 800 emails to reply to today. Um, and then just all of my replies, it's, it's amazing. Uh, when you start doing retail, basically anybody and everybody owns you, you know, cause they have their questions, they need their responses and it's through no know, fault of their own, but just the cumulative of it begins to get pretty crazy. Um, and then coming off of, you know, last night I had to run down to my buddy Justin Studenny's place. So I worked till probably about 11 o'clock last night. Um, but Justin just had a really beautiful clutch of albino pied retics. And Brian, you know, that's a project that I've been, I have a, a group of adult animals that I'm working with to get one exact animal that I need to incorporate them into dwarf and super dwarf, such a long process to do that right, that I want to start with the right animal as a foundation animal. So um, I had a deal with Justin where I got a pick of a litter coming off of a female. So he just produced a, a baby albino pied. So I picked that up. And then I tracked down a pair of pure wild caught ceram locality retics something that i don't think has been bred in the united states before there's not a big number of them and a buddy of mine john cashman who is a breeder out in california does a a lot of really cool like mainland stuff and he really appreciates the localities he's definitely big into dwarf and super dwarf And he and I work together on a lot of that stuff, too. Um, But we're working together on trying to get some of these pure localities preserved before they're gone. He's had a lone female Saram for many years. So I found this pair of Sarams that I've been kind of tracking and following for the last few years. Unfortunately, they've changed hands like three times. And it was just enough was enough. I, I bought the animals. I ran up about an hour away to pick them up ship those so i shipped them too but it was an adult pair Um, i think it's still probably on my instagram stories if anyone wants to check out what those look like ship those out to john um and then uh oh gosh what else did i do today you know i had to I had to get a bunch of stuff over to my CPA. I had to re up my uh, workers comp policy. I had to get my new employee packet out to Kimberly with all the tax information and stuff like that. So a lot of the back end business I'm about stuff. to take a nap, Garrett. What's going I on? I know. I know. <laughs> but usually the business side of stuff. It's, it's, that's the crazy thing. You know, I, like I have a friend who's a chiropractor who says he got into it because he enjoys working with people and hands-on helping people heal. So he opened his own firm and then all he did was all this boring business crap all day. And that's what people don't realize, you know, like, oh, I want to have a job doing that and do nothing but it. There's a million ways to skin a cat, but I'll tell you, I'm doing it. I think the way that a lot of people think they want to do it. By like oh, I'll be a breeder and 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 take the animals, you know, retail to the public and attend shows and all that kind of stuff. But that's such a small percentage of what I actually do. And I end up finding that I hire. I mean, Aiden's working with the snakes. Kimberly's working with the customers. So what's left for me to do is all that boring business crap. That's
3: <laughs> really, yeah. if you want to yeah. know the truth, definitely not what I'm doing. I just work harder at the stuff I I don't really want to do. I uh, probably is going to bite me in the ass at some point, but. Uh, I can't do that stuff that you're doing, man. Not, not all day long. I would have to, uh, it would be horrible. No, no.
2: But what strikes (laughs) me about, about your day is the fact that you're still not doing anything. You stay busy, whether or not it's like work or doing your taxes or talking to your CPA, you know, you're going on bike rides and you're, it seems like you're with your kids a lot and you have a lot of that balance in there.
3: Yeah, I got it. I have to do that. I, I need to, because life is, life is too short. This is what I'm trying to teach Garrett: is that you don't you need to
0: not. That's what I'm trying to learn.
3: Yes, this is what this is the one main thing that I'm trying to teach Garrett: that he's not smarter at than me, which is taking time to enjoy your life because it's more important than anything else.
2: And Garrett, are you seeing that you know you may need to hire employees to try to get that balance? I mean, you can't just ignore all your emails and everything that's going on.
0: It's honestly, I. I need to listen to my guru, Costco, more because I I don't know. Because the more things you take on, the more that you grow. Uh, the more complicated everything becomes, so you know you just end up balancing all these things. You feel like those circus people spinning plates sometimes when you when you're trying to run as much stuff. You know, like the, the other stuff. Like we're trying to open an online store. Um, I'm I'm putting together a lot of uh, written stuff for publication for the Dwarf and Super Dwarf Free Ticks, um, and then I'm working with a good buddy. By the way, I'm just going to shout him out. Uh, Justin Lathrop is uh, he bred a, a beautiful litter of cane corsos so if anyone wants some cool big dogs they need to hit him up and buy those and get him some money so that he can finish the pickup truck for my work situation but yeah too much stuff going on man
3: yeah we're going to implement some techniques that i know they've been using in the silicon valley recently to uh like programmers and stuff and we're maybe sometime this year we'll we'll step into that and see if it's something that can
0: Help. I'm pretty sure he's talking about illicit drugs right now, but I'm not entirely sure. No, they're they're working
3: on making them no longer illicit. They're using it to cure people. Like I said, currently illicit
2: Oregon. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Colorado, they're (laughs) legal. That's never
2: worked for me. I tried it. Um, (laughs) I didn't find the balance there. Um, It was either, yeah. You you get the point. Things are usually (laughs) happening at a certain degree. And then you lose that zippiness. And then that zippiness wasn't directed a lot when I did the small doses. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, You may know more than I do. but You you talking about psilocybin right now? Well, I wasn't going to call it by name, but yes, Brad.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> for the record, oh, okay. I I just work my ass off. I don't really know what you guys are talking about, but Brian's trying to teach me. We'll see what's.
3: Yeah, it's, it's been a while for it's been a while for me too, but I'm I'm overdue. I think to do a little reset.
2: Uh, we had a uh, come to Jesus trip, uh, me and Melissa, where we basically just fought reality for a good six to eight hours is pretty terrible to be honest oh
3: yeah no that doesn't sound good
2: hot <laughs> reality what are you guys talking about i don't know we didn't know what
0: was going on and we
2: were just like yeah i shouldn't go in depth about these things
0: <laughs> i thought that well okay so for the record brian and i's podcast is exactly for going <laughs> into these things so i know that this is your podcast but you did invite us i mean our point is <laughs> We already do reptiles full time in one way or another. So our podcast is not one more way to, you know, it's, this is not a part of our hobby. Like a lot of, I think, podcasters, this is something that they do as a hobby for us. This is the blow off steam, you know. So the reptiles is business. This is our hobby. And for me, I'm trying to
2: always try to find out where that line is between professional, at least professional enough that someone trusts to buy from me. And then also personable enough that I'm still myself. And I don't know exactly where that line ever is. And I'm always going one way or the other. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have experienced that.
3: Well, my whole reason for doing what I do is so that I don't have to walk that line. And I don't have to set my rules by somebody else's standards and just set them by my own. If you don't agree with them, that's that's fine, and it works out better for both of us because then you don't have to deal with somebody that you don't want to deal with, and I don't have to deal with people that don't want to deal with me.
0: <laughs> and I just like dealing with Brian, so I'm still trying to learn his rules. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. That's that's kind of what it what it's all about for us is just unhinging unlocking a little bit because you're right. Uh, Joe, you, you have to, I mean, I think if you look at anybody, um, whether, whether it's just their social media account, maybe they have a YouTube channel. Uh, it could be the way that they present themselves and type online, uh, you know, scroll down anyone's Instagram feed. They're showing you a certain side of themselves that they want to portray. Not really their, their true selves. Is that right? I mean, whether it's business, professional, and you don't know how much to blend it together. And my stuff's always been a little bit blended. I think everybody knows that I have a million kids and that I breed from home and all this kind of stuff. Um, But uh, yeah, the the podcast has really been for us, or the idea of it, is to come out a little bit less filtered from all these other social media things. So people can kind of get to know the real us and what we're going through.
3: Right, because even on my vlogs, as, as much as I put out and am open about a lot of stuff, there's definitely parts of me that I hold back, particularly the parts that I think I don't like about myself. I talked about it on a video I put out yesterday. I, I had done this other video the the night before where I came back from a run and I was just feeling like I needed to vent a little bit, and so I did. I vented to the camera, and um, you know, I, I wasn't – I don't know. I, I Stuff that I don't usually hold back that I usually do hold back, and it wasn't that bad, but I just I, – I had Hillary watch it. She said that – that I shouldn't put it out. And she's smarter than me in that regard. Um, but uh, I don't care, man. Like that's, yeah, to his point, like, I just, I like to hang out with people. Anybody that's hung out with us in person knows that we just like to let loose. And, you know, if it ends up in a wrestling match in the middle of the lounge, then that's what it is. And, uh,
0: that wasn't me by the record for the record but yeah uh I mean that's it that's exactly what it is you can follow our podcast if you want to know more about Garrett Hartle and Brian Cusco versus Reach Out Reptiles and Triple B TV so yeah and is that
2: something that I mean a, a podcast just seems like a platform where you can do that for the most part I mean do you feel like that is I
3: think the nice thing is that you can, instead of having like like a quick story where you're trying to tell people or entertain people or this or that, it just becomes more of a conversation. You have more time to talk about. That's why I think it's nice to stick to certain subjects, which I'm horrible at. But um, then you can stick on a certain subject for a while and really talk everything out about it, like every angle of it. So you can kind of really feel where somebody's coming from with something instead of just a little quick
0: soundbite. You you also don't have as much interaction traditionally as a lot of the social media things. So like for example, um, you know one of the things people have a really hard time with for some reason. If you do, yeah, it seems like everybody says they want to breed reptiles for a living. Oh yeah, that'd be the dream. That but at this by the same token. People have this view of people that make money breeding reptiles, like it's evil, like it's bad to capitalize on certain things, or like you're just ripping people off, or you're just, you know, where does the value of an animal come from? All these kinds of questions. When people get mostly when they get upset that they can't afford something, um, or the other thing is like. Uh, you know on youtube perfect for uh, example is i try to make a video about how to really set up a baby snake well you know people i have a video on how to set up a new baby snake but it's in a rack and i have rack systems for my babies so i showed how i set them up then i kind of realized you know that's only for someone that has tons and tons of babies i think most of the people that are buying my snakes. Don't do that. A lot of them have them as a a pet, you know, a trophy animal. So how would I set something up in that situation? And I was seeing a trend of people putting them in little shoebox tubs or whatever. So I I set one up in a nice kind of semi-naturalistic vivarium, and uh, you know, that was a good video. Thank you. Um, But I did definitely get feedback, which I knew was coming. People saying like, oh, you know, I read one time you can't have a glass tank. That's terrible. Every reptile will die if it sees glass. Uh, You know, another, another comment is like, you know, Zilla, uh, I'm friends with Ryan McVeigh. So when I went to do this, I went out and I found the enclosure that I really liked, which I think Zilla does the best job of the options out there with these front opening enclosures that I wanted. They had the right size for my desk, so on and so forth. So I reached out to them and he said, yeah, you can have this $200, you know, tank to set them up, put them on YouTube. Thanks for the shout out. So I did. And, um, you know, all of a sudden people are like, Hey, you know, uh, I, I think the sponsorship, you know, obviously you're biased and no professional person would ever want to use one of those setups and things. And I'm like, come on, guys. I mean, you know... The average average price I sell one of my babies, has like 1200 bucks. You think you're going to buy my soul on YouTube for $200 enclosure? That's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, so my point is like on those social media things, you have people pushing you to be who you want. It makes you feel like, okay, I, I should probably not say what I really need to say because I get too much pushback from society as a whole. And um, that's actually the reason why I started my YouTube is because I'm pretty good at pushing back against society. So just trying to open people's eyes, get them to think outside the box a little bit and, you know, loosen up a little bit, guys. Come on, geez. It's not so black <laughs> and white as you think you bunch of young <laughs> Am I right? I mean, it's a podcast, so I could be a punk here. It's, that's my new rule. I don't know if that's society's rule. Hi, Melissa. It's good to see you. Hello.
2: And it's it's so hard. And I I change my behavior based on YouTube all the time. And quite frankly, I mean, whether you want to set up in a naturalistic enclosure, you'll probably get heat from one side. Whether you put it in a tub, you're going to get heat from the other side.
0: And I mean, there's no real <laughs> winning. Yeah. Well, the goofy thing is people go to YouTube. They want to see it's YouTube. It's not network television. So they're presumably going there for authenticity. And then as soon as you're authentic, they're like, well, I don't really think you should be that way. I don't know you at all. And I'm 14, but I think you should be the way I think you should be. You know, <laughs> so it's like it's and I'm I'm not picking on anybody. I'm talking about society as a whole. They're like, I love you because you're authentic. Could you try to be a little bit more like I am right now, though? So it's more comfortable for me to digest the pill you're telling me to swallow. It's goofy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, quite frankly, you shouldn't have to hear about or anyone. No one should change your behavior who's not, you know, involved in your life and not someone that you care about. I mean, it's super important to stick to who you are and do what you do. So what do you what are your stances as far as I mean, Brian, you have I I put on
3: clothes before I go outside because I'm worried that people will think that I'm crazy if I don't.
2: Well, you should stop that, man.
0: Yeah, you can, just ask really going any, you can ask any of my neighbors. I might look like some redneck white dude out here in western Pennsylvania, but all of my neighbors have seen me go outside without clothes. I'm like, hey, don't look!
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I ran naked in the woods one time in Washington. It was amazing. Up We had a little spot where our band, which was touring out of, it was right across from Canada <laughs> in the Olympic Africa. Peninsula. And it was like, our backyard was the Olympic National Forest, and why so I took the opportunity to where there was nobody just went running naked through the woods for miles. <laughs> it was amazing.
2: Well you guys all off. you guys all clean your snake rooms like half naked, right? It's hot in there. I'm always yeah.
3: unless I'm you going know, I, into the enclosure well, I and put a shoe
2: like no, not... No, they're not wet. <laughs>
0: No, I, I wear the, the black T-shirt with the big chunk of white ink right here all the time. So I'm just like a big sweaty mess. It's always 100% humidity in there, 95% outside. I mean, I live in the Northeast, so I just sweat. We just deal with it here. Sorry, California. I'm sweating. <laughs> uh, I was I was sweating today too, bro. It's It's 90s plus out there today. Yeah,
3: crazy.
2: So, have a view anyway. about like this this move towards things like naturalistic. Obviously, Garrett just made that video, and you know, through different means of keeping whether bioactive and the whole like you know, it's kind of an anti-tub movement at this time. But you know, a lot of you, both of you guys, keep in tubs. I keep in tubs. So, how do you feel? You know, you're adjusting to that, or will you adjust to that?
3: I'm planning. Are you asking me? I'm planning to adjust. To naturalistic a little bit uh when i first came back like that's how i kept when i was a kid and then you know i moved to hawaii and when i came back you know a decade and, and a bit later uh, all the research i was doing was everybody that I would talk to online and whatnot is like all about this um you know sterile type of an environment where you're keeping things clean and you're not allowing bacteria to build up in any way and so that's so why i went gung-ho into it when i first got back and was uh, and that's this this shows that you know and I think there's definitely a benefit to either side, for keeping it one way or the other. Um, I'd like to find a little bit more of a balance where I've got some things in a tub and some things in more naturalistic enclosures, just for my own enjoyment.
2: What about Garrett? Because obviously you're use, you're working with such unique animals. And uh, I've heard so many things about different enclosures you need to provide, you know, a super dwarf.
0: I'll tell you the way I see it. I know it's a controversial subject. It's like the plastic versus glass debate, you know, the great debate of two thousand nineteen. And I'll just say this. I I mean, can I pick on the people that I love? And I'm definitely one of these people too. The reptile industry
1: the most when you pick on them.
0: You have, I'm one of you guys. So, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, don't, don't think of this as hypocrisy, uh, hypocrisy. Think of it as revelation that I've had that maybe you haven't had yet, but you will give it time. Uh, (laughs) But. Anyway, the, the reptile industry is basically 100 years behind every other industry on the planet. Yeah, I mean, it just really is. And we're at the tail end of the industrial revolution in the reptile world. So like when I was a kid, we kept everything in glass tanks. We kept them, raised them, bred them. Everything was super naturalistic. Bioactive was a thing because we didn't clean as much and or, or we put them in chicken wire outside and they, you know what I mean? They sat on leaves and they we're like, eh, dirt, dirt's natural, dirt's good. And we went to the industrial revolution where everything was like, clinical and sterile and clean. And I think we went a little bit too far that way. Uh, not because it's bad in and of itself to keep an animal in plastic. I mean, it's just a container. You know, there's pros and cons to both. And depending on your animal and your situation, it it could be good or it could be bad. It's like the the tubs I have, I have baby superdwarves the size of a pencil in tubs that are meant for adult ball pythons. So the way I keep them in tubs is very different from the way a lot of people do. But I still get to hear that, that argument, oh, tubs are bad, tubs are evil, you know, from people that really aren't considering all the details but the thing about it is i think it's like the pendulum swing you know we've gone so far to industrialization where you know uh freedom breeder i mean i'll just go out on a limb and say it freedom breeder is the best at what they do that that those racks in brian's room and the ones in my room those things are amazing they're wonderful they're easy to take care of um and they're they're based on like a rodent breeding system and then they translated very well into ball pythons because ball pythons live in rodent homes. You know, so it just worked. But personally, I don't think you you start keeping everything in there. You wouldn't put a, a monitor lizard in one. You wouldn't put a green tree python in one. But people do, you know, and, and most people can't uh, afford a freedom breeder rack, So or it doesn't make sense for them. Maybe they can afford it, but there's other priorities, right? So they go, you know, well, the part I don't like seeing is, the pendulum swinging too far when you're going to the dollar store and buying a shoebox tub to put everything in and putting a little sticky heat mat on the bottom and being like, there, it's done. You know, it's like you got one animal because, geez, man, go set up a nice enclosure for that thing. You know, like is this is your trophy pet. Why, you know, I don't know. I I think we should Stop be a little more like
3: people to be how you want them to be, Garrett. Uh, they should
0: understand. be how I want them to be. <laughs> No, my, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. But I mean, my point is like to each his own live and let live everybody's the way they work, the way with their animals and stuff. I mean, on one hand, keeping your, if you have to a ton of animals and you need to keep them sterilized, basically, uh, sanitized is a better word, really, then you need to go through and be able to quickly do that for the animal's health. If you have one animal in an oversized enclosure set up like it's natural environment, that's going to be best for its health, especially its mental health, because you're going to be able to see a range of natural behaviors. So it really, you can't say you should keep animals one way or another way. It depends on the animal, the keeper, the situation. There's so many details. I, I would encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast that, it, you know, just check yourself for a second here, guys. If you're out there on social media saying you should never do this, or you should always do this, you're probably wrong. At least a portion of the time you know or
1: you're not taking into account real life like you said like you can do things very right and very wrong in a rack and naturalistic like if you're doing everything wrong or not great for the animal but you have a naturalistic that doesn't mean shit like and show me me a
2: person show me a commercial breeder who's able to turn a profit using six foot cages is going to be very difficult. And it's unfortunate that that's the case that commerce is going to have to drive, you know, our behavior on my level. I mean, I can do cages. I think I want to do that eventually. But if we're asking reptile industries to put all of their hundreds of thousands of reptiles into cages, I don't know if that's happening. Plus, you're going to hurt their business. And quite frankly, we need pet reptiles out there we need to supply the big box stores even though we hate them supposedly but they're getting out there and they're getting animals in people's hands and it's getting people a good first experience so it's hard to say if anything's right or wrong
0: no, it it is, and it is up to each person. I'll say like part of what I'm trying to do, and I'm not there yet, but it's definitely the direction I'm going. I'm putting a lot of time, effort, thought, money into like research and development of new type of caging for my super dwarves. But the the animals that I have, I have relatively few animals that are fairly high end. And so I might be able to make a living breeding reptiles in large naturalistic enclosures. Um, now, can you do that with something that you're going to sell at twenty-five dollars each? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think so. You know, so but you, you, I mean, you really have to consider all that. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like the twenty-five dollars each system and setup, and you don't want to support that, go breed emerald tree, you know, emerald tree boas you know and and you'll be fine you can have gorgeous animals and large naturalistic setups and and do just fine
2: absolutely yeah it all just depends kind of on your goals as well and i don't know i think that it will be it'll be good pr if all of us folks on youtube you know can show off a good naturalistic vivarium i think that will be good for the hobby and that's kind of my thoughts behind doing that as well not only good for the animal but some good pr it makes us look good in the eyes of people who dislike tabs but also people who are trying to take this hobby away from us so that's also something that i've considered and i've thought like a, a lot about recently
0: well you're right about the the pr side of thing absolutely but beyond that even i'll say that little desktop buddy video that i just did on my youtube channel um that little snake being in there I see so many, I'm sitting next to him, looking at him all day while he's on my desk. It's like having a bonsai tree on my desk. you know. I get that little slice of nature and I see so much more about what I know that I love about super dwarves because he's in there doing it and I've got all these babies and tubs and stuff and they're doing it too in there. I just don't see them because they're in tubs. So it's kind of cool for me to check myself to have that one animal where I'm like, I've selected you, you are the chosen one. you know, To, to kind of remind me and humble me About, you know, these animals really aren't so scientific and clockwork. They're living things, you know. They're something that we're sharing our space and our environment with. They're not something that we own. Does that make sense? We get to live with them for a little while. That's the way I look at it.
2: Yeah, I mean, once you get to to a certain level, you know, when we have 100 snakes in the room, you open bins. And then sometimes you feel like you are not actually in touch with that being 100 individual animals. It's almost yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Kind of forgot I had that. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And <laughs> well, uh, you kind of forget that one-on-one you know, interaction.
0: Yeah, and you're looking at them. You're looking at 100 animals in a half-second period of time, and you're getting the exact same behavior 100 times over. It is not the same experience as having one animal that you're sitting and watching and appreciating and getting 100% of that animal's life cycle that you're appreciating. Brian just went over to his rack and pulled one out to enjoy <laughs> is you that you Brian? Yeah, I, I BS about stuff and he just goes over there and connects <laughs> what are you doing over there Brian I'm just playing with my snake
2: <laughs> so tell us about that indigo I mean where did you get him or her and I, got him, from, is it?
3: I got him from Robert Bruce it's the eastern and it's the, the red throat variety and he's super cool I, I'd wanted indigo snake for a long time and finally pulled the trigger on it um, last January and I haven't regretted it for a second. They're
0: how how poopy are they? I always hear they're super poopy.
3: <laughs> they're they're about retic poopy, maybe more. okay. Well, I'm okay. Yeah, retics are are
0: super poopy too. So
3: yeah, I mean, it, I it's possible to say that they actually defecate more than retics. So it makes them bigger. But they, uh, yeah, it, it does make them bigger when you feed them more, <laughs> especially when they're younger, <laughs> and that means lots of poop. And they're super cool, man. I he, they just. They're just so inquisitive. I mean, you know, retics are kind of that way too, but these guys are just a bit more... I mean, when you feed them and they're just going at it and just there's no thought at all as to like slowing down to maybe constrict something and they're just like, I'm going to get this down my throat as fast as I possibly can. As somebody who feeding a snake has never gotten old since I was, you know as young as i can remember the first time i took a snake to class I was seven years old and fed the snake in front of the class and i just thought everybody was amazed and i felt like i was no less amazed as the rest of the class as we're sitting there watching it happen um just and it still hasn't changed for me every time i watch a snake eat i'm just like wow look at that that's crazy and indigos are probably some of the most
2: amazing to watch do it because they're so so
3: vigorous about it <laughs>
2: I mean, and they're they're an animal that doesn't necessarily constrict, right? He'll just kind of engulf. His yeah, they food don't constrict completely.
3: whatsoever. They just start eating it. No constrict. <laughs> Have you ever?
0: Well, yeah. It's a colubrid, but it's a python-sized colubrid, so you get to be up there like. When I So, like, I haven't had indigos before, but I've played with them. I've had friends that have had them. And when you're there, there's something about an indigo that when it's sitting there eating something, you're imagining that thing being 60 feet long and eating you. Yeah, uh, am it's
3: really right? easy to do. Yeah, it's really easy I don't to do the way they're eating, too. That thing.
0: It's like the old dinosaur movies where they would just tape a fin on an iguana or something. You're like, oh, it's a dinosaur. You know, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a huge stretch of the imagination to imagine that thing just being a monster.
3: Yeah. That's definitely one of the things that's always been what I think obviously gets most people into keeping. I think there's a, a strong majority of people that were just into dinosaurs and realize this is the closest we're going to get to being able to have that dinosaur fantasy is keeping reptiles and, and watching them and hanging out with them and putting them around our necks and feeding them food and watching them eat and scaring your little sisters with them no just kidding
0: <laughs> my sister, my i don't sister, know science scared. told me chickens are the closest thing which seems super lame compared to <laughs> you know, my imaginations as a kid in the 80s or whatever but no Ch- chicken chickens those are real, dinosaurs dude. chickens are pretty real. yeah i don't see chickens and think oh my gosh if that was 20 feet tall it would probably eat me Dude, i think i would if ride it i do
1: 20 feet tall you'd uh, be screwed chickens are so vicious you gotta
3: like
2: throw a mouse yeah. to a chicken or something and watch it murder you'll you'll maybe, a little bit maybe, maybe
0: you guys not me i can <laughs> handle that chicken i'd mandle, yeah, when, man when handle noah it
2: started, when noah
3: started like selling me on the idea that t-rex had feathers i was uh, very
2: opposed to that idea yeah dinosaurs have feathers now it's a new age
0: Yeah. Dinosaurs have feathers now. Guess what? There weren't dinosaurs in the (laughs) 80s, and they're not here either. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They don't have feathers. You said there weren't dinosaurs in the 80s? There weren't dinosaurs in the 80s. And there aren't dinosaurs now. So we're imagining them with skin or feathers. And I'm going to imagine dinosaurs the way I want to imagine dinosaurs, all right? And my dinosaurs (laughs) don't have feathers except Archaeopteryx. That's the only one. No one else gets feathers. I need an it, Are you sure are you sure that
3: you pronounce that p there? Are you sure you the p? Are you sure it's not just archaeoterics?
0: Cuz you don't wow. say you don't say pteranodon. I might. I didn't pronounce that for you yet. <laughs> I can imagine it however I want. They're my dinosaurs. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> So coming back to
2: present, animals that are crawling and living <laughs> in our living captives. animals. Well, welcome to our podcast. Guys. Searchable as reptiles. <laughs> I think I think like a large part of what a lot of people, it's like having that slice of nature, kind of like that bonsai tree on your desk. I mean, being able to keep an animal in captivity is just being able to observe nature every single day, and I think it's hard to do that in today's society. And not too many people are doing it. So I think that, like, I don't know, the more people we get to do things like this, the better it will be for the future of the Earth. That sounds ridiculous. but mm, No, no, no. When it comes to
3: inspiring people to keep reptiles or inspiring people to get into reptiles, that's a huge part of it. Even bigger than that for me is what I like because they're one of the more misunderstood creatures on the planet, which all of us soon learn when we go public with with the fact that we keep snakes. You know, how many people are so opposed and appalled and shocked. Um, on, you know we, we live in this nice little bubble where all of us like reptiles but out there where there's normal people which are not the majority um, most people are not and if you can get somebody to overcome that that fear or that misunderstanding of it then you are helping the world to be a better place
2: and I feel like if someone can appreciate a snake they will easily appreciate all the things above the food chain and therefore you know we don't usually see insects as something that we enjoy. Or it's hard reptile, for me to you know.
0: appreciate insects. <laughs> I do now. I've got a... I've I, missing I didn't think here. you said insects. Am I the only one listening to this podcast <laughs> that heard something totally different there? I think That's just your brain. Do you yeah, appreciate it? Well, I can brain, imagine what I want to imagine. And, <laughs> We're going to watch lose also, it. Oh, geez.
1: It's one thing getting past, you know, people's subjective emotions about it, but just like... The objective understanding of animals, you don't realize how much people don't know. And, you know, growing up or in high school, there's no... Yes, there's biology classes and everything, but like truly understanding about like animals and all, that's not a part of the high school curriculum truly like it's not something and there's i mean some, and when it I is it's
2: super macro
1: right and there's something there's many things i don't even know but even tonight i was like talking to my boss and i was talking about a podcast we had before um kyla who was in florida working in florida about like invasive species and like, i don't even think like my boss really knew like what's an invasive species? And to us, that is such second nature. We can say all the time, but it's like, that's not something that's taught to the average human or the average child in their school. And to
2: biologists, that's a crisis. Right.
1: But it's like, and even if it is taught, it's like a blip and it's not, you know, so it's, it's us stepping back from ourselves and realizing how much that people do not know.
2: And then that is, you know, more the reason for us to try and get out there and educate people.
0: Well, and to your point, Joe, I I think you were talking about, you know, having these animals is like bringing a slice of nature along with us so that we can remember to connect with that part. It's, It's like we all have this wild part inside of us. And that's what actually makes us human, you know. And so actually that's what my logo is all about is, you know, I've got. The, the woods and the city and the bridge in between and we're trying to reach across and, and reconnect with that wild part of us that is there what makes go. us human. We're trying to get deep in his marketing. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I, was thinking, I was like, plug, plug, plug.
0: Well, my my point is, my point is, like for a lot of people, a dog and a cat will do that. But for some of us, it's just like, it's I find it's a lot of the obsessive type people that the dog or the cat that is so far removed from what it well maybe not cats but dogs are very far removed from what they are in the wild Um, that's just not enough to connect with that that primal part of ourselves we need something that is that is more like that wild part you know like even the the dwarfs, there's really two sides to what i do part of it is like making these mutts and these morphs where you're taking attractive or appealing color and shrinking it down to a size that's convenient for somebody to keep and then the other side of it is like the pure locality like this is a miniaturized apex predator and uh, you know, you just you fall in love with the the idea that there's this this prehistoric island out there somewhere where everything shrank down and it's this miniature world and you have this animal that has this big snake attitude in a tiny little body that you can put over here in a little, you know, twenty gallon Zilla tank on your desk or whatever and enjoy. And uh still I, marking I, over the world? I tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about what drives us. I'm talking about what drives us I mean, into reptiles I was, I was giving you crap.
2: Dude. What drives you, Brian? Let's...
0: Yeah. Come, come on, man.
2: Listening to Garrett, com- listening
3: to Garrett combine marketing with real life emotions and how he really feels about things. I, I, I just don't understand how that works, but it, it does. <laughs> I, I don't, it doesn't, I don't get it. I don't know. It's it's
0: I've said it. I've said it before on my channel. People think it's like a conscious thing or whatever. And I tell them all the time. I'm just a super huge nerd about this stuff. I love this stuff. It's it's passionate to me. I sit around thinking about why I am the way I am. Why do I love reptiles? Because like a lot of us. I mean, Joe, everybody that comes on your podcast, you say, how do you get into reptiles? And they tell you a story from before they were in elementary school. Right. Yeah. It, there's there's something ingrained in us that makes us this way. There's some kind of calling and it doesn't seem like a calling that should really exist. Like, what's the usefulness of that? At least to me, growing up to that way, I always felt snakes, that way.
3: to keep people from killing snakes and misunderstand them in a way that they eradicate so many snakes that the rodents eventually take over and kill us all with disease. That's the purpose. <laughs> maybe go. part of it maybe
0: part of it for me it's connecting with that primal part of yourself right here in your office. oh well, yeah that too i was talking about the benefit for the rest of the world me hanging <laughs> out no, yeah.
3: right now is not helping anybody just that part you know
0: i gotcha so most I gotcha. people
1: aren't uh, most people are a little too egocentric to think about the rest of the world they're thinking <laughs> about satisfying their own passions <laughs>
0: thank you melissa <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i still think it's it's nice to hear garrett you're Reason for doing this is a step past that. I think about that a lot because being a teacher, I get asked all the time, like, "Oh, why do you want to be a teacher?" And like the blanket statement, everyone's like, "Because I love kids." And like, not that that's not valid, but it's kind of like, okay, like, where's like the the oomph in your like vigor for why? Yeah, there's, there's got to be more behind. There's got to be more. And for reptiles, it's like, "Oh, why do you want reptiles?" And it it seems like the blanket I'm statement. No, the blanket statement <laughs> has been because oh. That I played with them as a kid outside. And I'm not saying that is not valid, but like there's a lot of time I'm like, where's, you know, and Garrett has a mm. <laughs> <laughs> oomph. Oh, it's
3: aggressive.
0: There's, there's
3: definitely some teachers too out there that don't like kids, This
0: is interesting to me. <laughs> it's depressing and sad. I, I got a lot of those. I got a lot of those. And I'll tell you, I did not help them like kids anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I think that's a, that's a huge thing because... I mean, your motivation will wear off at a certain point. There has mm-hmm. to be more behind it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I barely go through a month, maybe a week, without having that split second where I'm like, sell all your collection, move on with your life, everything will be better. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then it goes away. Like, I don't know if you guys have that or how you fight that, but I mean, I but yeah, I get past I it I just had knowing. That like I, have. That,
3: I had a feeling like that once, and it it was recent actually. Um, but it passed.
0: (laughs) I've, I've done it. I've done it. I've sold everything. I've got out of everything. Sometimes accidentally. I mean, Joe and Melissa, you heard, I think I told you the, Mm. in the story about the house burning down. Mm. So like I lost all my, I had a huge reptile, reptile collection. They were totally hundred percent down to nothing. And, Mm. uh, and I can't escape it. I can't escape it. So I know it's inevitable. I'm going to have more reptiles. So sell the collection, keep the collection Uh, It's really not a question for me anymore. I've I've gone through so many cycles that now it's like, you know what, I know that I'm going to get burnt out if I have a bunch of animals. So what are the ones that I really actually want to work with? And that's the only real question now is not, should I get rid of them all? Should I keep them all? Should I downsize? Should I grow? You know, it's just which ones. Because, it, you know, keeping a million of them and having them grow is inevitable for me.
2: Yeah. And that's what if I sold my collection, I would have I would be working to get my old collection back in six months or something. That's all that would happen. I would sell it off and then get right back in once I realize yeah. I'm an idiot.
0: That's so. exactly where I've been for the last like three years. So, yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Pivot. Or did you have a question? Pivot. Pivot. Hypothetical question. Ooh, if I like you these, <laughs> did not live where you live. Do you think your collection would look different? Mm,
2: no. Yeah, mine, mine would, would definitely. We live in the inner city, so it's hard for us to expand. And we're thinking: Do we need to live outside? Do we not? So I think that's
0: interesting, that's Brian. Because we talk a lot about you can just you can just rent the apartment next door.
3: I just can't, but I also can't live in a city. I've done it for a little bit and that I got out real fast. Um, So that's, I mean, I I would never be living in a city. Gotcha. Consider going back a little bit, like, especially down to L.A. because there's so many people down there and there's so much going on. And there's, when you're talking about, like, doing community stuff, like, there's a huge community down there. Way too big, in my opinion. But it's there and I've contemplated it. But I've lived in L.A. before long enough to know that I will never live there again. (laughs)
0: <laughs> see i interpreted your question very differently or maybe it's just my perspective so i think when i you're like, too. i thought if, you meant like regionally or like if i had you know if i lived in uh a certain
3: part oh, you guys the are reptiles, thinking like it. if i lived in florida like if i lived in florida would i have a big like i'd have a yard with reptiles instead of a room
1: that's what i meant i meant yeah i meant like living in a different part of the country or something like do you think that would have impacted like what you got into or what like your favorite ones you keep are and everything like that hmm
3: i don't uh, i don't think so i mean city versus country yeah probably but that's because you're just dealing with a space issue when you're talking about an apartment versus a house um it would have to affect you if you have less space and you can keep less types of animals or you know you definitely don't have room for a, a huge cage for i don't have room for a giant monitor lizard here right now so i don't have one and i might someday could be cool because i've really gotten into lizards this year or now that i have a tegu for educational shows just i'd never kept anything with legs before and now i've got like nine animals here with legs it's been a little bit of culture shock for me trying to figure out how i'm going to deal with all these legs running around me especially with the tarantula's I've got eight it's like that's a lot to deal with when going from everything with no legs to
0: eight is a lot to deal with <laughs> I'm still. I think I'm it's so that so your stress. I think it's funny that your stress level is measured incrementally by numbers by of life. legs.
1: Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. I have to say it's zero. I can't take legs. I've always told you <laughs> no legs. I can't do anything with legs. Like,
2: <laughs> see your for me, like immediately once you get legs, I don't know. There's something about it.
0: So if I was to answer Melissa's question, I you know I lived in Indonesia before. And that's kind of where my thought process went immediately when you asked that. And, and yeah, it looked very different. I think knowing what I know now, I'd still probably try to get into the dwarf and super dwarf retics, but I would have so much more diversity of bloodlines being out there and having access, you know, freely to, to take animals that were wild caught, not have to put them through the export import whole process and be able to easily acclimate them in my backyard. You know,
3: dude, speaking of Indonesia and reptile keepers the Indonesian reptile keeping community is super cool they're wait I don't
0: know anything about extremely it
3: extremely supportive of each other ah. they're all working together to make things and and not only that but their country like one of their senators is way into reptiles and he like took us to the to the zoo and it was closed to check out the Komodo dragons and he has he keeps and, and stuff and it's just <laughs> the, the reptile keeping community over there is like oh it's like it's so it's so cool it's so
1: why do you think like what? makes it so that they're so support what is it about it that like why they support each
3: other yeah i mean the the first my first experience in the Indonesian reptile keeping community was in a giant mall like a super mall where they were having an expo for the weekend so it might might be a little flawed or you know because i it wasn't like i went there as a normal person and found this thing i went there specifically to attend that event and then go do reptile stuff there but um the fact that like they have senators coming who are into it it was, it's a bit more in there. I don't know, Gary. You lived there actually for a while, so I feel like you probably have a better understanding of it.
0: Yeah. Um, so as as far as Indonesia, if you look at the Indonesian culture, um, it's a, first of all you can't really say all of Indonesia is like this because it's right. super diverse. But if you're, you guys are talking mostly about Java, um, which encompasses Jakarta and, and where I used to live in East Java, a city called Malang, but. Um, in java they're predominantly islamic and the the muslim culture really reveres birds and keeping birds Hmm. um and that's that's actually scriptural for them uh it's kind of like a spiritual thing uh the the quran relates to that and so they're huge into having like you know even even the poorest of poor people will keep a bird because it's kind of like a, a good deed almost to, to keep and feed and, and take care of a bird. Um, so they they kept, there's huge bird markets everywhere. I think Brian, you went to one of them, the Pasar Burung they call them, and they have fish and they have reptiles and stuff, but it's really based on this this cultural background of of having a bird and just keeping it really well. And so then they got into fish and like the Asian arowana is huge. Koi are really big out there. And it's just them taking uh fish that are, that are local like giant gouramis and stuff and taking a fish that, that might be, have humble beginnings and keeping it really well. And that's translated into some of these, you know, rare Asian arowana morphs and things are worth tons and tons and tons of money now you know, tens of thousands, you know, maybe possibly even hundreds of thousands, I don't know how deep it goes, but they have this culture of keeping an animal and keeping it well, and so it started with birds, but it's it's translated that mentality into keeping their reptiles. And like, Brian, I'm sure you noticed one of the things you, you, if you go to any legitimate reptile show, it's not a swap meet or a meat market like the American ones are. It's like they they love doing like best of show. And it's like, look how polished my lizard's fingernails are. And it's got the full (laughs) tail and it's not fat and it's not thin. They're judged on those things, how well the animal is kept. And so they have a very culturally... Um, just different background, whereas the American culture of animals comes from agriculture. It's like, you know, let's go ahead and and level the Great Plains, you know, kill all the bison because they're hard to deal with and fill it up with cows instead. You know, because everybody likes cheeseburgers, and and so animals become property; they become ownership. And what happens in a culture like ours is that when the animals become a commodity, they begin to become uh, used and abused. And so you, you see all the dogs that people have for social status and things like that. And it's, reptiles are some of the worst, you know. And then and we have groups like PETA and HSUS that are just absurd extremist groups, but those groups form kind of that pendulum swing thing. Again, they're on the far extreme end of trying to address an issue that they see that I think a lot of us mainstream, we just, we know what we know and I was raised this way and we don't really think about what we are doing to the animals, you know, where we probably have a lot of room for growth if you stop to think about it for a second.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's something like, you know, we talked about before with the changing and keeping and stuff that's going on. But that's why, you know, part of me kind of is jealous of those people that have 10 animals and keep them very, very well and just have like a very clean collection, a small, clean collection. I mean, I love breeding animals. So, I mean, that's really my niche is why I don't do that. But, you know, I am a little bit envious of someone who can keep and just observe that that one animal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, that I mean, it kind of comes down to like a cross-cultural thing. A lot of times I think we view, oh, it's Indonesia. It's this third world country or whatever. And again, that's that black and white statement thing. And honestly, living overseas and traveling so much is where I get the mentality that I have, where you go in with this black and white perspective of something, and then you begin to see pros and cons in everything. And everything is about people finding their way in this world and and balancing things out to, to try to live the ideal life that they are capable of living. And there's a lot of ways that, you know, places like Indonesia, I would think the pet trade is one of them, where certainly there are animals that are used and abused, because, you know, you would find orangutan, baby orangutans in the In the bird markets as well where the mother was shot and they pull the baby and you know what i mean sell it into the pet trade and things it's unregulated so you will get those characters that that kind of sneak in and capitalize on that stuff but uh there is a mentality that you can learn through viewing other cultures other industries and bringing your inspiration not just following what everyone in the reptile industry does but thinking about who you are what you have to offer and bring to the table and i you know my youtube channel on Reach out reptiles, all trying to bring that out in people. I mean, that, I think that's the basis of uh, Cusco and I's relationship is that we're always trying to bring the best out in each other. And we fight each other on it all the time, too. I'm like, no, this, this way this is I was just I'm thinking way. like
3: everything you're saying
0: right now, like that's why we're friends. Like, why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we disagree I, on everything. I'm like, no, I'm right and you're wrong. But But <laughs> I think both of us are like eagerly anticipating the moment where we are proven wrong so that we can grow and change, you know, and that's what's really, that's what's really fun about. That's why it's always a competition. And it's all done in love and and good spirit, because I I think both of us have this attitude of of continuing this journey of self improvement. And I I think, think you both actually
2: like listen to your audience, like Brian mentioned it before, like, you can see a comment, and it's easy to deflect it. But some of them you have to absorb and say, maybe there's a hint of truth there. And then obviously there's a lot where you can internalize and be like, nah, nah, I'm good without that. But you know, it's important to, to have the, and are both smiling. I think we're both thinking of
0: examples. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a, it's a tough balance
3: because some people are just out there to be assholes. And sometimes it's time, tough to uh, differentiate between the two, you know, depending cause it's all text-based when it comes to comments, nobody's with the exception of a few rare examples, nobody's actually calling you on the phone to have a real conversation about it. it's just like a quick two or three minute two or three sentence comment and it's easy to take it however you want to you know which if you're feeling bad that day you might take it badly whereas if you're feeling good you might be like oh they're trying to help me
2: yeah i think we're we're about to enforce like a 24 hour rule i forget where we were going the we other day Stop
3: looking but... at the comments after 24 hours because it's just random people finding your channel really? be assholes well that I'm too about...
2: but but i i like before i respond to something because i try to respond to everything and so, therefore, I'll wait twenty four hours in order to respond to it because something I may get defensive, like like that comment about our enclosure, and it like it wasn't a perfect T formation that this person heard on a YouTube video that has to be, you know, things aren't absolute. But I was just really mad at that moment. I'm like, you don't understand. You're not keeping this on. Blah blah, but they were proud. there's a hint of rightness to their comment and i shouldn't snap uh, at them i need to calm down
1: and i think you're too add to do 24 hours yeah i'll just forget about you'll it. you'll forget huh? about it <laughs> you know,
0: in, in costco's interview of kimberly she actually had I, just I this remember. I used
3: thing. that technique. Okay. I know. I just used that technique recently. It's such a right? good I made technique. that video. I felt She's so, so good, good
0: afterwards. I felt so, so what good she, afterwards. what she said that you do is kind of like what you're saying. I've adapted it to be like what you're saying. But she says she types out the response she wants to right away, and then deletes it, and then go back in 24 hours so you get it off your chest. But yeah, I mean it's such a good technique I remember it from that interview still
3: yeah I thought about that recently when I did that video the other day and I, I watched it back I was like and when I was considering it, twice in the video I say oh I shouldn't post this and that then I go oh no I'm going to anyway like in the video <laughs> I, I say that <laughs> then, you know here's I, the thing that oh sorry go ahead no that that was it that was it and I've thought of Kimberly in that moment where she's like remembered her technique of like get it off your chest put it out there but don't put it out there because it's it, just you venting about stuff and it's not going to help anybody so it's it's only helping you, really.
0: It's amazing to find wisdom in social media because wisdom usually comes with experience and age, and all the old people are off social media. So social media—no,
3: not true, dude. I've got more <laughs> viewers that are older than me by far. Sometimes than than a lot. I've got tons of people that watch my channel that are in their sixties, and they talk to me often and leave comments every time. Well, you, you are everybody to that's, on that's on YouTube, I have to, ap- to take that moment to prove you wrong.
2: <laughs>
1: our hours. our demographic is mostly 18 to 34.
2: Like 90% is 18 to 35, so. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: So, yeah, you I just think mine starts a little bit younger than that, but yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I get I get a decent spread. I think I'm probably hitting heaviest where you guys are. But, you know, all of us that are watching other people that do this stuff professionally, you got to realize like we care and that's why those comments hurt, right? That's why we take it personally. And like, for me, the breeding of the reptiles, whether I'm setting an animal up on my desk or, you know what I mean? I'm I'm trying to do a a mite treatment or I'm trying to, you know, tell people how to like reacclimate animals after bringing them back from a show or explain to people why they maybe shouldn't wait till the reptile show to buy an animal. If they already know the breeder, they're going to go with, you know, like, Like, just let me ship it directly to you and not expose it to everyone else's collections first. But, um, you know, whatever the topic is, this is my job. And so you don't do what I do. I guarantee you that if you're commenting on my channel, you're not a professional Dwarf and Superdwarf retic breeder, because as far as I know, I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna you're say, how in. many of those are there out there in the college? Exactly my point. But they'll come in here and tell me how to do my job. And that's kind of like me coming down to your engineering firm or your law firm or where you're doing your brain surgery or how you're bagging groceries for someone and being like, ah, you did that wrong. It could be, oh, oh, eggs should go on the top. I learned that one time. I learned that from my mom. Eggs should go on the top you know what I mean, of that grocery bag. And I I don't come in and look over your shoulder and tell you how to do your job. And when you learn something from YouTube, and then you bounce to the next video, and that's my YouTube channel, and you just regurgitate what you learned off the last YouTube channel, you're telling me how to do my job in my shop. You know, I mean, my presence is online. That's true, but you also
3: have to, that you're opening yourself up to the ability for people to do that when you post stuff on YouTube, on the internet. You're, you're, you're kind of agreeing, like, okay, I'll, I'll let some people tell me what they think about what I'm doing.
0: I agree. I'm just saying that a lot of people, it's almost like driving. You know how you're a total jerk when you're driving and you would do things. No, I'm that the you kindest don't... person I've ever met when I'm driving. <laughs> you, know, you don't scream at people and flip them off from behind the glass. You would never do that to some old lady walking down the street that bumps into you. What the hell is wrong? Uh-huh. She That's
3: she actually collides with my car. That's a whole different story than if she's just like there somewhere. <laughs> I've never flipped off an old lady in my life, but an old lady has never bumped into my car with her car.
0: <laughs> my point is, I think we can, we can, what you're talking about is being a community, right? You, you we're putting ourselves out there. You guys are, are jumping on and giving us feedback for better or for worse, but there's a respectful way to do that within a community you know, and, and we can encourage each other. I mean, you know, the, the criticism is the most constructive part really. Rather the than the majority
3: of people are respectful for the most part. It's just the ones mm-hmm. that aren't respectful that tend to stand out at you more because they're not. And because they're, it's like those ones are, it's just the way it works. Like you tend to, you're like, oh, that one sucked. Like you could get 95% good comments and you get like two bad ones. And you'll really think about those
0: two bad ones because they don't make you feel good. Well, it's It's true. But like, where, where, where is someone's motivation to be one of those two percent? Why you got to be the biggest jerk in the fish pond? You know what I mean? Something <laughs> bad happened to them, so I mean, they're feeling happy different
2: for some
3: reason. They're,
0: they're yeah. fishing on your channel.
1: There's, yeah. there's a myriad of different reasons, and sure. I think that's just something to apply to life in general. Is try to focus on the positive, and there's always going to be the negative, but it doesn't help. It's like people
2: could tell you, "I love you, I love you." Yeah,
1: but it's like people can cut off you mid sentence too. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. they can can do that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) While you're trying (laughs) to stay focused on the positive and not the negative, they can do a negative thing and cut you off mid sentence. (laughs)
3: Garrett, Garrett, here's the part where you need to be a uh,
0: relationship coach. That's the part. Remember, that's a part of your job too. (laughs) oh is it
1: (laughs) you get assigned that role
0: i'll tell you what i will stay out of the husband and wife relationship thank you very much i have enough issues with my own all these people (laughs) that like you know want to incorporate all these different relationships more power to you i don't know how you handle that i got you know my relationship with my wife is plenty for me thanks
3: (laughs) uh, uh, oh come on garrett what is it is uh some it's better to uh Sit on the corner of a roof than to have a wife <laughs> who is mad at you. Something like that, right? <laughs> what?
2: Okay, well.
0: We were quoting Bible Proverbs in our last Airbnb at the Pomona show. And yeah, I, there is a, a proverb in there written by the wisest man in the world who, you know, contradictorily had like 900 women living with him. I mean, if you just do the math on like... A, What's 900 divided by 30? You have that many PMSing wives chasing you around at any given day. I don't know how that is wisdom. Wisest man in the world. Yeah, exactly. self-proclaimed, I guess. But, uh, but he said, yeah, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a nagging wife. So, And I'm not saying that's what my wife is. My wife is an angel. She's very supportive. I wouldn't be able to do this business without her. I love you, Ashley. But uh, I'm just saying that relationships take work. That's all.
1: <laughs> Especially when one person in the relationship, you know, wants to spend thousands of dollars on animals. Oh
2: yeah, for, for our significant others to put up with us, absolute miracle. Oh. Agreed.
3: Whoa.
1: Agreed. Can we put that on a loop and it <laughs> in my house? Because I've never heard you. that.
3: I can do that for you. It'll take me two seconds to make that happen.
1: Thank you. Connect it to Alexa It'll be and have be hack to my Alexa and make Alexa say that every hour on the hour.
2: Yeah, if I don't yell at Alexa enough, because she doesn't hear me the first time. Jeez. Damn Alexa, just do your job. <laughs>
0: I, I did find the solution to the allowing your wife or husband to allow you to spend as much money as you want on reptiles, by the way. You just have to make money with the reptiles. Then they're like, oh, you can keep it. If money is the issue and you push it the other way, where you are like, you know, honey, maybe I should get rid of my lizards. I don't know. They made us an extra $6,000 last year. I mean, that was our, <laughs> our vacation. Should I get rid of those? I mean, we'd have to go without the vacation, but we could have less lizards. What do you think? It, it changes perspective 100%.
1: Oh, he knows that's how it gets me. And that's 100%. I think he, tell, he tells me that it makes
0: all about money. The money. All about the money with you, Melissa. <laughs> yeah. And we, I talk about
2: people don't do snake math all the time. Don't do I breathe this to this. I'm going to get this many, sell it for that many. But when it comes to your significant other, Put that shit on paper, whether it's true or not. Show her the profit you'll make. But then the more I go that.
1: into it, I'm like, no, when you tell me you're making this, you better have already deducted the cost of keeping them and, keeping that them. Weird, and that come, The more I get into it, the more I realize that number. So I'm many, like, you better deduct that. that and then come to me.
0: <laughs> you're me. on thin ice with that one, Joe. <laughs> you just set an expectation that you now have to live up to. It's better <laughs> when you go make a bunch of money at a reptile show. I tell them, all my customers that are always like, I got to ask my girlfriend. I got to ask my wife. I'm like, you need to go to your next reptile show. Take every dollar you make and don't spend it on reptiles. Every now and then, take it home and put it in her lap. You know what I mean? Or take half (laughs) of it, buy her a diamond and put the rest in her purse. And when she asks what's up, just make, it was one of the better reptile shows. I guarantee (laughs) you she will allow you to make you you have to make it a real life thing you have to actually go on vacation on reptile money then you can't say my, it didn't happen
3: this is what my last reptile show uh warranted i just I just, <laughs> I just finished charging it i'm gonna go ride it soon
1: is and that I'm the thing be... um casey's yeah. casey made uh, it's a
3: one wheel it's a it's a one wheel they made they're made right here in california in santa cruz and i'm going to be Ooh. zipping around my neighborhood on it very shortly you can ride this thing on the beach can you believe that
0: that's I mean, a whole new way to get skid marks on your butt if you have.
3: To.
0: <laughs> yes,
2: I love those. What good is a YouTuber without a electric motor vehicle of some sort? To oh yeah, you're gonna do? I you know.
3: know. I've been I've do been do lacking this entire it? time.
2: I've yeah, just been sitting in my,
3: my sniper with a tripod. I'm gonna now zoom down the. <laughs> yeah, what, Seems very dangerous,
1: right. uh, that scares me a lot. But more, I also
3: got a, I also got a helmet. But that the reason I brought that up is because Hillary agreed that if I did a did a certain amount at the reptile show this weekend, then I could go ahead and pull the trigger on that thing. So
0: there you go, case in point.
2: Well I was ready uh, for the record. Next time we sell three corn snakes at a show, I'm going to take that $75, put it all into ones and put it on the bed and bathe in it, do snow angels, all that good stuff. So,
0: I know a guy who can help you get into Superdwarfs. He might be able to <laughs> do it <with> <laughs>
1: I like the size and
0: thickness of our corn snakes. They could use a little bit more. Hold on a second. Are you going to make me pull out a Superdwarf? <laughs> <laughs> you want to see a corn I snake? feel like... You- it's going right. to end up there anyhow. Talk amongst yourselves. I need to be right in this moment for some reason. I didn't
3: realize this was already going to the moment where we're putting them out on the table. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Talking about size and girth, you know, that comes up a lot in our podcasts, unfortunately. What? Does it? Yeah. <laughs> size and girth. We talk about it a lot.
2: I mean, it's super important if you're, you know, a person who's thinking about the future and you get – a retic, you might want to know if it ends up being sixteen feet or
1: uh, yeah, really 16.
2: girthy <laughs> or a big old hunker, you know, big, big old, old girthy hunker. <laughs> but, what
0: <laughs> you say, chode? You say chode? What yes,
1: I did. This is
0: not going to help the podcast, but this is one of my old adult breeder super dwarves Yeah, that's a, that's a cool corn snake. Yeah, it. I mean that's a little thicker. Old, oh, I don't know. It might be longer because they're long and... and no, not long, but th- it's thicker. Our corn snakes right Is it? I mean, I'm doing the aok okay thing. <laughs> it can fit through there, no problem. Look at that. That's we a corn snake small. all the way.
1: Corn's small. I feel like our. I, we keep our corns pretty small.
0: I've definitely had corn snakes as big as this guy. But yeah. I, they might have been overfed. We'll say, we'll say bull snake <laughs> yes,
2: there yeah there you, you go. go there that's you the go Yeah, that's a finds. good bull,
0: yeah,
3: find bull like, snake yeah maybe a little less attitude
2: yeah i mean that's the thing right i mean but from what i heard like the super dwarves at least when you're working with f1s wild costs and that stuff i mean they used to have an attitude or it seemed like that animal was straight even though i don't I know i
3: feel like the story is that every snake the closer to wild caught is has more attitude I'm sure that really
0: that animal sense. was wild caught. That's a that's a wild caught animal.
3: <laughs> and the theory goes right out the window.
0: Gears <laughs> they
2: keep it on ice. I don't believe you.
0: You know. I mean, retic. So, like, those of you guys that follow Brian's stuff have seen the epic, you know, saga of the pieball retic. And right now, they have a reputation for being really nasty or whatever. But I don't think it has anything to do with the morph. I think it I'm has. Putting to out do a video
3: with- tomorrow that somebody brought a big pie to the San Jose show, and I'm holding it and <laughs> petting it on the head
0: and doing the little <laughs> nose thing, and wondering why it hasn't been like this before. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I don't and the think when I found the wild that when we found in the wild in Indonesia um in that cave I it, it acted just like one of the uh
3: the ones I keep here.
0: Yeah, so I honestly I think that's more of a bloodline thing. The the original pied was a jerk and so it's going to take a few generations to wash that out. But I mean if you got a baby off of that thing, it's wild caught, it's already super chill. Its babies are going to be super chill. You know, so and a lot of times like with the different locality, I don't know why we're talking about superdors, but, but like the locality mm, stuff, you have a, you small- know exactly why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I was going to say we have a small gene pool. So, you know, when you say all of these are like that, it's probably because they all came from one animal and that animal was a jerk. So,
2: and I think it's, I mean, being a jerk, maybe a little bit more, you know, you can, if it's a six foot animal, it's a different story than a 16 foot mainland animal. Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: yeah a little bit. So I, I, I think there's different. It, the The interesting thing is, doesn't matter what reptile we're talking about now, but you definitely get different attitudes, different bloodlines. I mean, if you guys have corn snakes, I'm sure you have some that are awesome, some that aren't, you know, I mean, uh, Brian, you're doing the ball python stuff. I've always heard the rumor that the puzzles are are more of a snappy, whatever. and And it's different survival strategies. I mean, a really chill I snake is going to take said. longer to react. <laughs> What's that? That's Sean. <laughs> <It's> Bradley's fault. <laughs> yeah. Too. Uh Sorry, Sean. Yeah, I love you too, but you're rubbing off on those puzzles. Too. <laughs> 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 Your personality is just <laughs> in the air. They just took it on. You influenced you them. that. That's why all my retics are so damn cocky. <laughs> <laughs> anyway no i i just i think that's really interesting another nerd thing i think about is like you know if they are chill they're going to have a slower reaction time to predators but maybe that allows them to you know like i know when i go herping i look for movement if it doesn't move i probably wouldn't it stays the less chance you have of seeing it right so you know you end up catching all the nasty ones (laughs) but by the same token i mean maybe those nasty ones can bluff their way out of situations in the wild and stuff it's I, I heard
1: out about that too, but not, I mean, not outwardly. I think about it in my head a lot just because we talk about, you know, bloodlines. Oh, all of these are like this way, but you always have those outliers and it's like, what causes that? Or you'll have people that are like, oh, 99% of this one type of snake is all calm. And then you have those like 50 random people are like, oh no, mine is the worst one ever. And it's like, okay, what's causing that? Like, is it something hmm. with the animal? Is it something within the keeper? Or, you know, like with a our little bit clients, of both. Our pine snakes are straight up devils, like descendants from Hades. Like, I sh- they're terrible. But so many people all the time are like, what are you talking about? Like, my pine snake's fine. Like, I can do this or, you know, it chills. Ours are just devils. And it's like, I don't think it's anything to do with the bloodline, you know? And we have, like, like we don't like- keep them anyway. than the other, you know? Like, and so it's like, what, what is causing this? Is it just a random occurrence? What, I don't know, do- docileness? Is very interesting to me, and I don't think there's enough true research for us to have to make the blanket statements that we kind of do. We we just make them, but I don't. We like
2: we hatch out clutches that are all runners. We hatch out clutches that are all biters. We hatch out clutches that are all I don't want to eat shit for you, which is the worst kind. (laughs) And then you have ones that are easy. So I mean, and it seems like that goes from a clutch to clutch basis. And I know that mom throws little crazy runner babies and it's been consistent so far that you know the same pairing will consistently give right. you these animals that act similar to you know the past generation of animals
0: which i think is the next generation of reptile keeping is is like another another trait that we can breed for you know so we're breeding for color we're breeding for pattern you know uh there's a lot of other breed, things example, in there but our yeah. I, and temperament is kind of, it is a a little bit of an enigma with the nature versus nurture sort of a deal, but I think you could definitely breed for temperament. I just don't think we do because mm-hmm. the pre, the breeders, at least in mass, because the, the large scale breeders, they don't care about the temperament of their animals. They're trying to produce the morphs and pump them to the market and all that kind of stuff. And it takes a little bit more of like an in-home breeder spending time with their animals to realize the value of temperament um, and and go with that so that's what i'm doing with my big blood python girl
3: who i used for a little clickbaity thumbnail in yesterday's video because it looks like she's killing my son but uh (laughs) i saw it was just some love snuggling going on. she said
0: i shouldn't post it (laughs) (laughs) It
3: there's all truth to that the title was true the thumbnail was true that happened in the video it just it didn't appear like it it didn't happen like it looks (laughs) It's good,
0: Jeff. I, I, I like doing that. I'm really, real into that, in that. Your your blood python was bitey when you got her as a baby, she wasn't was she? she deep deep and, deep. and she tamed down. And now you bred deep. her. So
3: how are her babies? Her baby. There's one that's a little kind of defensive. I, I have been bit. There was the original video when I'm first sexing them. They first hatch, and Travis and I are splitting the clutch because it was a joint clutch. They're bite You know, everyone. I get bit by just about every single one of them. I'm not being careful. I'm reaching my hand to a tub full of them and I'm pulling them out. And since then, I haven't been bit by a single one of them that I've been handling. They haven't even been striking at me. The, the video the other day, one of the males I was petting his chin very vigorously. And finally he like bit out of, towards the light, but I haven't been bit by a single one of those animals and they haven't tried to bite me.
2: Which is seemingly outside the nature of, you know, most blood pythons. Right.
3: I, I mean, think they're, they're, I... part of it is that the way I'm handling them, I mean, I'm not trying to get bit at all. I'm coming from behind, but they still, and then I'm petting them on the chin too. And she is one of the most calm. I mean, I just know I can trust her with my kids, you know, that Eli handles her. And I know there's going to be no problem whatsoever. Um,
0: I think Brian and I on? have a different. Yeah, you, you and I have a different element to throw into the mix, too, which, which is the little kids. You know what I mean? If, it, if anything is going to desensitize an animal, it's a small child, you know, <laughs> if you, you go adopt a dog from an elderly couple and you like look at it wrong. It's like. You know what I mean? If you if you get a dog that grew up with a bunch of kids, you can sit there and, like poke it in the eyeball, and it doesn't move. It doesn't care. It's just like <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. You know. So, so- the animals are definitely like that
3: it's something i like about it though because I, I that's why i put a video like that is it, with a thumbnail it looks like people are going to click and be like oh this kid's this snake's killing a kid and then they watch me like oh that snake is super chill with that kid and you get the people that are expecting to see a snake destroy somebody and you get to see the opposite which is a snake being completely chill with somebody
2: well and as an unproven breeder myself um you guys obviously have a whole different perspective having kids and involved in the reptiles so Obviously, Brian, your kids are super involved. Garrett, it seems like your kids are involved too. Like, how do you approach that with introducing them to different reptiles and handling all that good stuff? It's case by case
3: based. This, you know, I wouldn't hand this big blood python to my one year old. Eli was just felt like he was ready to, you know, try and hold it. Just strictly a strength thing is like, can you hold support this animal with your little boy arms? And he was about at that spot where you where you, I thought he could, and he did. Um, and whereas little girl, like there was, it wasn't until maybe a month ago where I felt I could place a little bit of ball python in her hands and let her hold it. And she wasn't just going to take it, be like, <laughs> squish it down. <laughs> and it was just kind of reading that moment, waiting for that moment when you think they're ready and being very, you know, attentive. You can't just hand a one year old a snake and walk away and be like, it'll be fine with that, right? It's just a ball python. No, you want to make sure they're not going to squish its head off. And so you have to be right there ready to intervene if you need to and then some people would probably say that that's a little bit young but my kids are advanced
0: <laughs> well and and the that's the so thing that most exactly. <laughs> they're genetically
2: predisposed
0: <laughs> <but. laughs> she's she's already going on the big
3: girl slide by herself man it's that that playground says this is for kids and up so
1: i like that that's yeah. <laughs> advanced like your Just
3: goes your benchmark slide, for
1: advanced advan- advances <laughs> The top is going on the big slide.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my teacher. Yeah, probably- I was, I was going to say most people, when they see animal human, you know, like kid interactions, they're worried about what the animal's going to do to the kid. As a parent, so you, you realize it's very much the opposite. Yes. Yeah. The, I mean, yeah, you can handle any animal you want, but like I have a, a son that's about the age of Cusco's daughter, and, and yeah, he. He'll be okay for a while, and then he'll just get excited and go, oh, you know, and you're like, oh, don't kill the snake, you know. You, you like so It's, it's, it's definitely, you by give by. them to the kids as they're able to be respectful of the animals. And then, you know, like my oldest daughter has a saying from when she was little, She her, her big aha moment with reptile handling Kira's was, if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you. And that's all it is with the animals. They're just going to react to the person that's handling them. So if the kid can handle them respectfully, the animal's going to be okay. If the kids squeezing the tar out of the snake, snake should bite them. I mean, I I might bite my kids if they're squeezing the tar out of me and won't stop either. You know? (laughs) Hey, cut
3: that out! (laughs) (laughs) Nutshots. And how is that?
0: (laughs) Hey, I've got, I'm like outnumbered four to one. You got to do what you got to do. It's survival at the Hartle House. (laughs) (laughs) Were were both your wives always
2: cool with the, the snakes and the kids? No. Well, snakes and kids, yeah. But at that point,
3: she was already, had to become cool with the snakes herself. She grew up having nightmares about worms and snakes, like literal nightmares. So getting her okay with snakes. So luckily, she's a pretty open minded person. It wasn't that hard, but once she could see how it is, now she's, you know, she's cleaned retakes on her own and stuff like that. So, you, you kids, guys are, already, uh,
0: you guys are been breaking up a lot. I can't hear oh. you anymore. Uh, is that my fault? I good over here. Okay, as long as it's good. I think I got okay. a lag you're over here. here. You're losing
1: you're, me. Ah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's your uh, fault. That she was. Not okay. I see Brian's it's mouth moving I at can't. first. Okay. Well, just shh. It's my turn to talk, Harley. <laughs> You've been really blowing up this, this stream so far, which is pretty standard for, it's par for the course. Garrett talks. I listen and
0: laugh. But to be fair, he has a lot more to offer auditorily and, he, and intelligently. I just see you guys talking and laughing. I have to assume you're making fun of me. I, I can't hear any of it at this point.
3: No, I, we would never make fun of
0: you. You guys are a bunch of jerks. I know what you're saying, but you're jerks. I'm just yeah, going to throw and that out there. Your phone's
1: does he have those wireless out? ones take your check yeah, your earphones
2: earphones
1: maybe yeah, yeah. Earpo- AirPods. did they die
3: you know what i did
2: before Hello, the podcast
3: i charged my headphones <laughs>
1: mm.
3: well
2: garrett at least has headphones now he didn't yeah
3: <laughs> that was a challenge in itself wasn't it
2: yeah <laughs> all right now no, i know no, it is true
3: this mm-hmm. is why this is another reason why i was so eager to start the podcast with garrett he does teach me a lot i've learned a lot from garrett um and it's it's nice to just listen to him talk about stuff because he says it in a way that I can understand it, and it makes me feel like I actually do understand it when he when he talks about it. Whereas when it plays in my head, sometimes I'm trying to
0: not having it. It doesn't like, it's
3: like me. Uh, it doesn't oh, like. Oh, no. he's, he's gone. Well, then I think that <laughs>
0: yeah, you <should> just,
1: uh, <laughs> it's,
3: it's your turn to listen.
1: <laughs> Except you can't listen. It's, it's oh, turn. right. Can't
2: listen. That's the main problem. <laughs>
1: He has to learn how to read lips. That's what. she Yeah, that's weird. I
2: don't know if he wants to get out, get back in on that. I don't know if he can
1: like turn or change his speakers. What do I don't know. But I think we like
2: we're similar in the way that I think we can gain something from Garrett because I I don't think business like enough. I don't treat this as a business enough.
1: Well, we've talked about multiple times like lots of people in the snake world I think because they're into something that's different a lot of them have something that like make them different and I think marketing and kind of that aspect of it is like what makes Garrett different and I think what also makes him successful like he has these ideas about how to present things and how to do things different than the rest of us do and that carries across in multiple facets of his life
3: yeah and it, it helps out it helps everybody you know when he when he has that booth at tinley that's like outshining every other booth there um it's gonna help everybody else to be better i think you know
1: is it weird that we're like pumping up his ego right now when he can't hear us We're it's talking- probably the best time to do it to be <laughs> fair <laughs> dude
3: you this guy needs no help pumping up his ego i promise you that like He's the most humble person he knows. I'm telling you. He'll tell you that.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's this new thing he's involved. It's called super humble.
1: <laughs> super, hashtag super humble.
3: <laughs> yeah. But it's it's good. No, he's, he's a good dude, man. He cares about people. and he, No, dog, wait, what am I doing? Is he going to start sending us signs over here? Yeah. <laughs> just, I just got to be careful. I'm not saying too many nice things about him because he's probably going to listen back to it.
1: <laughs> I don't know what's going on.
3: <laughs> yeah let's, all garrett, let's look at
1: garrett speakers i don't i'll see i'm saying that and he can't hear me so yeah. it does nothing did you message him yeah,
2: and tell
3: him mess
1: with it. his yeah, sound like you know maybe
3: making moves but i mean earlier just cut out all together
1: earlier you kind of gave your like explanation of why you think them having podcasts together and er is great i had a different view of it which is funny um mine was more like garrett as far as like presenting things in a different way. Um, But also I think you all are both willing to learn from other people. Neither of you are these big popular breeders who think they know everything. Um, And you've shown that Brian through doing your interviews at the shows and everything like that, you've shown that you are willing to learn and share other people's stories and other people's knowledge. And I think that is why both of you kind of make a good podcast yeah i like to learn.
0: i've always been a pretty good listener (laughs) i just like to take a moment yes i can hear you now okay i I I would like like, to take a moment i don't know what her what happened in the last like couple minutes here but i just like to go on record saying you guys are jerks whatever it was
3: (laughs) it's funny we literally were saying so many nice things about you that (laughs) i had to stop myself and be like "Oh wait he's gonna listen back to this he's gonna hear all these nice things and he's gonna i th-
0: thought you were to gonna brian. be honest on this podcast brian no, no
3: not allowed we need to find a new medium where i can be completely honest yeah podcast is now not enough we have to get something <laughs> what's the Just next jump 24, off 24 24 7 feed
2: Ugh. right off my head audio too
1: would you how much money would someone have to pay you for you to allow 24, seven feet of your life. I mean, does it stream on like $50? Yeah, I was gonna say it's not much. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's
3: there's things that people that have followed me on everywhere. Like I imagine that there's a lot of people that follow me that unfollow me pretty quickly. Like, like oh, this was cool. And then the next day it's like, what the hell? No, 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 I didn't want to see that. Uh, yeah, I'm you would sure definitely change.
0: You would definitely change your audience in a 24 hour period, that's for sure. <laughs> But but honestly, I think this is one of those things we share in common. Brian and I, I mean, Brian's literally vlogged himself taking a dump on the toilet. I mean, <laughs> I haven't gotten there, but I've said a lot of things where I put my foot in my mouth or, I mean, you could just listen back to this podcast and hear all the stupid things I've said. So what do we, what do we have left to hide? There's no shame, you know. It's just, over. It's all out I, there.
3: The one thing I'm really cautious about, I guess, that I'm maybe overly cautious is dropping too many F-bombs or, or any, just because I've got this thing where I really don't want, I know that there's a lot of kids that watch my channel, like, because they come up the reptile shows and they want to take pictures with me, and I think about them when I'm putting out my content. I think about how I don't want to get their parents mad at me to where they don't get to watch my channel anymore by just being a complete utter potty mouth, because in real life, I tend to be, I'm working on it, you know, because there was a time when I didn't swear so much, and I, I remember back at that time when I'd hear other people swear, I'd think, "Man, that, that's kind of not very classy." But now I do it. I don't know. But now I now I swear all the time. It feels like there's so many things you can express better if you drop a couple <laughs> of bombs <phones> or something. <laughs> but I try not. I try so hard not to do that, just for the kids, and for more for other people, other kids' parents, so they're not like, "No, you're not watching that channel." This guy right. is not. With, even though I, I, I mean, I cuss it for my own kids, but I, I don't take that liberty with other people's kids.
1: We try in our YouTube videos to not to in the beginning more. We, you know, we're not so cautious, but we really try, really, really try in our YouTube videos not to. Yeah, we dialed that to. back
2: once we got the feedback and.
1: Yeah, I mean, because we did it in the beginning. We did it. We're just like, we're, you know, truly ourselves and we curse naturally. But we got those comments from parents be being like, I want to watch this with my kids, but I can't. So we. Uh, you I should be
0: more it. like I want you to be. You should be more like <laughs> I want you
3: to be. I take
1: it. I, I
3: do it as a challenge for myself. Nobody's ever told me. In fact, people like. A lot of people that comment like say they want to hear me cuss more, and I'm like,
0: (laughs) wow, I wish we got that. I was gonna say, I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. I I intentionally put out and try to swear, you know, like, oh, this would be a good point to make my point really extreme. So if I swear, like Joe and Melissa, you guys were at Northeast Carpet Fest this year, I went back to Matt Minnetola's house the next day. Uh, Dave Kaufman and I went and filmed a little episode of all his blood pythons and stuff, and I was getting riled up about something. I don't remember what the topic was now, but I, I cussed. And Matt was like, "I don't know what." Uh, he's like, "I don't. I don't think I agree with everything that you just said, but I feel so much better because you just swore." I thought you were like, <laughs> you know he's like you just brought yourself down to earth i, I didn't know what to think about I you think before it, i've never met anyone a, that didn't swear I think
3: it does make a lot of more a lot of people out there more comfortable if you if you do
0: swear actually yeah yeah miserable
1: situation i think it depends um so like we Podcasts we curse a little bit more we curse open. on here like i think it's more understood that this is relaxed it's not something we edited or like you know practiced for like a video this is open um but i think for yeah
3: me, i find it as a challenge for myself to try and like get A point across as well as possible without, and it's a challenge, it's a challenge for me. Yeah, it's like trying to bike to the top of that hill this morning. <laughs> my cousin, <did. laughs>
0: I- I'm I have the same challenges trying to articulate what I'm saying. It just instead of using cuss words, I just repeat myself like five times until I feel like everyone's got it. That's why I talk so much.
1: I think I've gone or not. Uh, I don't know why I keep bringing up me being a teacher today, but being a teacher, I can't <laughs> all fucking day long and start so home, and I want to just like let it all out. I have to restrict myself so much.
2: And she has a kid-shaped pillow that she actually body slams and
0: punches. So. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> no, no, it's like you did not laugh at all. No, I wish kind of. That's actually a really good idea. Okay, so from the marketing guy in the group over here, Melissa, this is a new product for you, and this needs to be some, some, you know, some new merch for your guys, your guys stuff for all the teachers. Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, put out, put out child beating <laughs> yeah that's a good thing for your teachers yes okay. no i'm serious wait wait wait
0: wait! <laughs> punching bags shaped like children hold on real, hold real on real hold real on hold wait year. wait i have a better idea i have a better idea make it so that you can print an actual face on it oh god <laughs> <laughs> so you can beat the child of your of your choice you, you should my make mom, adult versions too <laughs> my you should my make mom adult a versions too. my mom's a
3: teacher my grandma's a teacher my wife's parents are teachers i've never heard any of them swear
0: Mm.
1: See, some keeping it in all day kind of just affects. That's her. your
0: mom. She swears. <laughs> she doesn't no. swear to you. It's your Bro. mom, my,
3: dude. My mom thinks "shut up" is a bad word. My mom thinks "stupid" is a bad word.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> your 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 memory goes back really far. That's all that's happening right now. You're remembering being three and you called your sister stupid or something. She's like, "Whoa, that's oh, harsh." She right?
3: said this when we were in high school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Great. that's why. That's why I
3: love your mom.
1: Did she teach little kids.
3: She did teach little kids, yeah. She's yeah. retired now, but she, yeah, she taught little kids.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it works both ways. Some people, when you hold it in all day, you just get to use you get used to not cursing at all. Me, I hold it in all day, and I have to release it. But you know what's <laughs> you interesting? Can par- like compartmentalizing something Right, and like I have a thing. I will never curse in front of a parent. And I thought it was kind of an understood thing. Like parents don't curse in front of their kids' teachers either. But since moving to Philly, I learned that is not an understood
0: <laughs> It's and a regional thing.
1: Kids are yeah. – parents like dra- drop F-bombs in front of me when talking to me about their child. And I feel so uncomfortable. I, <laughs> I, 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 as, I, I'm like, no,
0: I can't drop F-bombs with you talking about your child Right like now, you should probably throw it right back at them, and then they'll feel good, like Matt did about me when I threw it out at his house. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: just feel like it's no, there's that boundary. You're
0: gonna be like, I like this new teacher.
3: <laughs> hey, hey, Garrett, do you guys? So, I'm gonna take a hard left here. Do you guys want to take some uh questions from the chat? I know Garrett, when he advertised this thing on Facebook, he was like, Ask us questions, ask us questions, and, and then I
0: won't that. answer them. But that was my, that's my brand. You know that I go on live Facebook or whatever. And then I just don't pay attention. Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. I can't see the chat. I'm not technologically Uh, that advanced.
1: Is talking about me doing jujitsu on kid pillows.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's your guys' show though. I'm going to let you guys make a call. I'm just throwing a suggestion out there since Garrett did advertise it as a place to do so. so.
1: (laughs) Um, Do you remember, did any pop up? Oh, someone talked about earlier, um, this is kind of a vague one, uh, as far as like retakes and more of those more difficult animals and like deciding who you sell to. Like with us, corn snakes pretty much sell it to anyone because pretty much anyone can take care of a corn snake. Um, But someone earlier brought up like teenagers and um, selling to them or stuff like that. Like do you kind of have this like cut off or –
0: for as far as selling those? Um, I mean, it, it is a little easier for me with the dwarf and superdor stuff. I mean, if you could see the one I was handling earlier, that's a snake that... I, I mean, they're they're definitely... They're not a beginner species. I, I do get a lot of people that are like, I've never had a snake. Can I start with a superdorf retic? And that's, you know size wise, I mean, they, they come, it it just, they come person. I think that's, that's it. They're an intermediate species. You have to be dedicated to animal husbandry. If you're okay with that, then you're okay. So like my biggest animals are like 30 pounds. You know, I mean, if you think about a dog, dogs are more dangerous than pythons are. Everybody knows that, or at least they should. What's a 30 pound dog. I mean, that's like, a Sheltie. So if you could take, if you could take a Sheltie that was trying to kill you, you're probably okay with one of the animals that I would sell you. You know, um, I think that's a huge thing with other reticulated pythons. And if this person is considering getting into breeding mainland reticulated pythons, they have to realize that with a snake that big, the responsible market that they can, uh, push, their their product to if you will is going to be a lot smaller if you go with a smaller snake your market is a lot bigger and you have to worry about that less so it's for me it's kind of about the bloodline some of my bigger stuff yeah but but mostly my concern it's kind of like the kids like can the kid handle the snake not can the you know is the snake gonna hurt the kid is are my customers capable of even keeping this intermediate animal and my marketing process like I don't do advertisements. You have to kind of come chase me down if you want to my animals. We're going to have a conversation. You won't be able to get around it. It's just the way that mm-hmm. I work. So, I mean, you can, those of us who've been doing it forever, you can fill people out if they don't know what they're talking about. You know, I, I definitely refuse sales. But anybody that's, that's applying themselves to learning about the best for the animal husbandry, they're, they're going to be fine. They'll be able to keep one of these things, no problem.
2: Awesome. And Brian, allow us to put uh, your feet under the fire for a second. We have a question for you and it is, is clickbait fair to the viewers? I don't know. I mean, as long as it's... uh i don't know i never thought about them <laughs> <laughs>
3: it, just, it depends on uh what it is i guess i mean i tried i tried i do do what like clickbait type stuff like you, you do, know, do, said do do I, we I, do do.
1: all thought that we're I all ch- i we anytime <laughs> we hear do do it's <laughs> i mean if you like the content on the
3: channel if you're a regular viewer i, I it shouldn't matter what the thumbnail is if you know what kind of content i'm gonna put out like it's the cut the thumbnail doesn't matter at all i could just put a blank thing and say that i quit the internet <laughs> and uh and that would work just fine as a thumbnail because i like that matter. idea you know, the content, by the way the content's going to be good you get it regardless and in that that particular video which it is yes a bit of clickbait to say i quit the internet it's like oh that means no more videos on youtube that's an assumption somebody's making and i thought some people would make that assumption yes however the video the entire video was about quitting the internet wait that's all we talked about the, for 25 minutes so I, as much as I do try to do, like as much as I do, do, <laughs> do. from time to time. As much as I do do, as much as I do, do <laughs> down, somebody's gonna get some shit in their eye. Like it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody's gonna cry about it a little bit, and that's fine. That's how it happens when you get stumping in your eye. It, it hurts and stings, and then. But I do it in a way where I try to incorporate whatever it is. Like that's it's a game for myself. Like I think think of something clever. Like what's clever about this? I, don't know, I think I'm clever at least in my own head, in my own brain. And maybe nobody else agrees, but I don't care. And I, 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 I enjoy, it's a little joke. It's a game I play with myself and <laughs> I, I have a lot of fun with it and nobody can take that away from me.
1: I agree. And I, I think people are way too harsh about clickbait. Like if you're only watching this video because of how this little thing this big like looks, then that's, that's not the why you're watching the video. That shouldn't be why you're watching the video.
3: Um, well, but one thing, like with the thing with Eli this morning, like that's part of like what I, the people that I want to try and get to watch the video is people that think this snake is killing a kid. I want, you know, to, find you people to bring them in. That don't know the content. They're like, and then to have them have a positive experience when they were coming for a negative one. That's a huge yeah. part of why I do it. I, people that are looking for that negative experience, because a lot of people are. The majority of people, for whatever reason, on that watch YouTube videos will click through like, "Oh, what is this bad thing that's happening?" And then to give them something that's not bad and something that is the opposite of bad, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's clickbaiting. If that's what it is, you're getting somebody to click on the video when they think they're going to see
2: something bad, but they see something good. I don't see a problem with that person.
1: But it's also marketing, and but I think there's. I think there's and you
2: also don't pay to watch YouTube videos. So you're getting something for free that someone took six hours of editing and put their whole life. You know, Brian, Garrett, you know, we all make videos and we put a piece of ourselves and our time that we accrued, you know, crafting our videos into them. And we want people to see them. So when I put out a video and I suck at doing the title and the thumbnail and 600 people watch it instead of two thousand people watching it just because of my lack of making it engaging um i don't know i don't feel so bad right. i mean i don't and do it often, it's not like you're bad. it's
1: not like you're using an animal that's not you know that's not anywhere in it it's not or you know it's not like you're putting a dinosaur there's making there's people think the video is about dinosaurs when right, it's so not two, about dinosaurs types
3: of clickbaits in my video in my opinion two different types um the kind that is straight clickbait where it's like you say something like Mike Tyson knocks this guy out and Mike Tyson's nowhere in the video and nobody's right. knocked out. Like that's right. a whole, that's like, that's bad clickbait. But what I try to do is good clickbait where the thumbnail, like you're going to see what that thumbnail is made of. You're, like, you're going to see all of those images in that video. You're going to see that stuff. And then whatever that title happens to be, which was she didn't want me to post it. Like that was also a big part of the video is talking about this video I made that she told me not to post and why.
0: So yeah. I think people get a little sensitive with that stuff too sometimes I'm not saying that you know the person that's asking the question is that way but I've had comments so I used to use like stock footage for my well I still do I use a lot of stock footage for my thumbnails and I kind of piece it together on Photoshop to get what I want and I didn't used to put myself on my thumbnails I would put someone else. So like some random picture of this guy over here, that girl doing that. I'd find something that was funny and I'd like patch a little iguana in there or something. And I had one video, it was like my snake won't eat and there's this attractive looking girl on there with like uh, sprinkles from a donut all over her mouth. And I I thought it was funny, because it, I made it, Photoshopped it like she was trying to feed the snake a donut. Like, my snake won't eat, what's wrong, you know? And I was like, haha, you're stupid, girl, because snakes don't eat donuts, you know what I mean? <laughs> that was my thinking. But somebody else went on a, a rant on that video about how I would do clickbait, and they thought they were gonna watch something else. And I was like, no, the whole video is about the snakes that won't eat, So literally the only thing that you could misconstrue is that you thought you were going to get some hot chick and you got me instead. <laughs> you know what I mean and I and can the- see where somebody can get pissed about that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've gotten pissed about this that. is not that hot chick I was promised with the stuff <laughs> yeah. on their donut lips. Yeah, yeah I want to yeah, see hot like- chicks with donut lips. If hey, they, you know if that's what you want to see, Google hot chicks it. with donut lips. That wasn't in my hashtags. <laughs> you know what I mean? We,
1: I don't know what it is. I feel like we've gotten way more scrutiny for clickbait than we deserve. One person was like, "Um, it's a minute into the video, and I have not seen the snake that's in the thumbnail yet. Like, this is a problem. And I was like, excuse me. it sounds like their (laughs) like,
3: (laughs) I mean, it was a good video. Here's my view on, like, uh, complaining about stuff on the Internet. Like, if you're able and are complaining about things on the Internet like that, just be thankful. That's all you have to complain about, and you have the time to do it on the internet,
0: right? You have a pretty cush life if your biggest yeah, problem. I, I'm is. I'm thankful that I'm able to do that because <laughs> there's
3: many situations in, of people in the world where that, that their worst thing is not, you know, complaining about something on the internet. And it's, I, I'm being serious; like, you be thankful, like that. That's that you have that ability, and that that's your your thing that you have to complain about at that moment. Because
0: That's like my, my buddy in high school was so mad that he got in an argument with his girlfriend about whether he should wear his sunglasses inside or not. And he's like, I, I hate her. I don't know if I could take this anymore. And I was like, dude, if you're arguing about whether you should wear sunglasses inside, that means you have a good relationship. <laughs> you know, do you know what other people, I mean, everybody argues apparently, but do you know what other people argue about? It's usually worse stuff than that.
1: <laughs> One person who, uh, I think we all like having on the podcast, and it's all a positive person in our life, is having a next question, babe. Go for it. (laughs) If you don't know Morelia House, that is Brandon Wheeler. And he is asking, Garrett,
2: where do you buy those cool little containers that you pack your snakes in?
0: Yeah, Brandon Wheeler, I love you.
3: before you answer the question, Brandon was the man at this past carpet fest like we had carpet fest in my house yes but everything that went well at carpet fest happened because of brandon planning everything out and making sure it was going to go well
0: Absolutely. So. Yeah, Brandon is the man. And Brandon, I'll give you the same answer. I'm going to just be honest because this is podcast forum and this is where you ask me that. I'm going to be honest and tell you the answer I want to tell everyone else that asked me these things. Brandon, you could go pound sand. Uh, I put a lot of research and develop into my unboxing experience and I don't want you to rip it off. You can go make your own unboxing experience. I thought about, you know, When people touch and feel this box for the first time, what is the excitement that's gonna be built up so that I can build an intrinsic and sentimental value into my animal that transcends its market value so it never becomes unwanted? And that's why I have little tins that I put my snakes in. Now, if you wanna create your own brand experience and develop it and R and D it over this course of hundreds of shipments over several of years, you could go ahead and do that. But I'm not gonna give you all my secrets. Um, You can go pounce in.
1: Can that be the clip in the beginning when you edit this, babe? Uh, you can go pound sand. because I've never heard that expression in my life. And it would also this is Gary this is things that we life. say
0: when we don't swear. You can go pound sand.
1: That and what did you say earlier? Something about tar? I
0: just, <laughs> Slap the tar out of you or something like that. Yeah, I like all, the all these non-curse
1: word expressions that you are uh... Mother Bear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> My grandmother's favorite one is God Bless America. That's God, what she said.
0: Bless America. That's yeah, a good That would story. be pretty <laughs> offensive to some people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, but there you go, Brandon. And we had another one kind of pivoting back to uh, which, since we all make videos and everything, um, Mrs. Beachbum Exotics asked, How much time do each of you spend editing a video to post to YouTube?
0: This, this is, is another so person that we love, by time. the way. But. I spent, no, it's not true. I'm just not as good at it. I probably spend more time than you to come up with a worse product. Yeah, I I spend, so like, at least in the beginning when I was running regularly and I'm kind of getting into the groove of it, relearning things because I have an employee that helps too now. But when I was doing two videos a week, I worked about 20 hours a week uh, filming and editing the videos. So, when everyone asks why I went MIA for a few months, it's because I needed that extra 20 hours a week because my business was so busy. So, yeah. I've I've literally never timed myself ever from beginning
3: to end. So, I feel like I should because I've been asked this question a lot. And But there's a lot of times where I don't edit everything in one sitting. Like, I'll edit through something and then go do something else and then come back to it and, and do a bit there. But when Dave was here visiting, Dave Coffin was here and we did a little vlog and went around. And I p- edited... I posted mine already. He's posting his soon of the video when he was here. But he watched. It. He sat behind me, and watched me edit for a while, and kind of worked through something to where I was getting close to f- being almost done. You know, there's a couple little tweaks that I was still gonna do to it. But he looked. He was looking over my shoulder. And he says that would have taken me all day long. It went, and I think it was like an hour and a half or something that I that I spent doing it. But I've spent a lot of time doing it to where I got real comfortable. I, I learned all the little shortcut keys, like the way that I work the trackpad and have all these little motions I can do with my hand just to make things go faster. And knowing what I want to do and knowing how I wanted to end up in the first place, it's something that took time to – there were times it would take me literally all day to edit a video. But I think what I do need to do is uh, time myself a few times these next couple of times so I can actually answer that question. But – it depends on the video too like until I'm done like until I think it's yeah. good like I'll go back I'll, I'll re-watch something when I think I'm done editing something I will go back and watch it from beginning to end which probably takes a lot longer time to, to do that you know to actually just sit there and watch the whole thing and make sure everything's good but and I'll do that and it, you can never get it good enough though like I get to a point where it's like it's good but if I went back and spent the more time I spent on the video the more the better I'm able to make it and tell a better story and add these different things add these different images so <sighs>
0: And you can tell, like, there are days when you just don't have a lot of time to put the editing in and, and your viewers can tell, you know, like you were saying, uh, Brian, like, Oh, that was one of your better videos. It's because it was planned out in advance. There was a lot of B roll that was taken. You know, we filmed the whole process. We edited it all in and coordinated with what everyone's saying versus me sitting. I can sit down and turn on the camera and rant at it, you know, but it, it, it depends so much. I mean, the first six months of my YouTube channel, I filmed it with my cell phone and I edited it on iMovie and then I uploaded it from the phone. And Ooh. so I was completely limited to whatever you can do with that. And uh, and I think I built up a few thousand followers there based on content. Um, but nevertheless, it, it, just, it just depends so much. If you were a professional video editor, you could get a lot out of it in much less time. Brian says I don't spend any time on it. It looks like that, but I'm such a caveman when it comes to this technology that that is a monumental effort for me to put stuff out as good. It took me six months to realize that the camera that points towards you on the phone is like half the resolution as the one that points away. So like, (laughs) there was a dramatic improvement on my YouTube videos when I learned like, oh, if I turn it around to where I don't see myself anymore – It's like, it's 4K now, it was 720 before. How did that happen? You're like one of
2: those people who used to upload YouTube videos with the black bars on the side, vertical on their phone.
0: I literally thought it was a conspiracy because when I film myself, I'm like filming to where I can see myself and I'm like, man, I look like crap. But then when I film my snake, I'm using like if I was to take a B-roll of a snake, I'm using the other camera so I can see what I'm filming. And I was like, there's a freaking conspiracy with YouTube to make me look bad, but at least it's making my snakes look good. So that's okay.
1: And do you for guys me, both? A- oh, sorry, go. For me,
0: it's just like a personal challenge
3: to myself to see if I can make something appear to the way I-, I see it in my head. Like, can I, because a lot of people say there's good editing, but part of that is getting like something awesome looking in camera, like to those cinematic things where if you don't have a good image to start with, there's nothing you can do to it to make it better. Like if it wasn't good already. But my my point is that I really want to find a way to make the editing, make the story better and and just make it a better video in that way. Not just edit for the sake of editing, but have it be something that helps enhance the story and gets it across in, in the way that I'm really trying to get it across, which I feel like I'm Actually, sucking that pretty bad right now. I'm working on getting better at it. Yeah, and, and do you? Oh, sorry,
1: do you guys both use um, Adobe uh, Premiere? Premier.
0: No, I still edit an iMovie. How dare <laughs> It's you just too. on a it's just on a, a computer now, not my phone. And I I use Final Cut Pro, which is pretty much iMovie.
2: Um, after a couple Ooh. of steroid injections, <laughs> these non okay. Adobe users.
1: Well, air, I don't know. Apple. Maybe it's better. Sorry. We don't know anything about it. It, it pretty much comes. I've down tried to, Final Cut.
3: <laughs> to what um you know software you're using or what a uh, operating system you're using is what it comes down to. Which one you're going to use? Yeah, uh,
1: we, I well, think we, you just started on Adobe. Unbald.
2: Yeah, I always just use Adobe since I learned in in high school, and that's what I stuck with. But I found that like I've had videos where I've done six hours of editing. I've had videos where I've done twenty hours of editing, and I found that it doesn't always correlate to the performance or people don't typically like that video. Like I've spent so much time on like herping videos and those perform terribly no matter, but I love over editing those or like, uh, for the the review or something that I did, like I made, I made Melissa like a fish underwater with bubbles going up and all this other crazy shit. And like, I I just had fun doing that. So like, or you go down map. rabbit
1: hole holes. He yeah. he'll just like get his, this idea of his head and like, oh, I want to do this, no matter how many hours it takes. I'll get silly with it and whatever. And so that'll definitely add to the time when
2: he. I spent an audience. hour like modulation, modulating my voice and doing the color grading <laughs> and turning myself into a demon. And then I was in flames and stuff. It was the whole thing. So <laughs>
1: unnecessary.
2: I
3: think some people really appreciate that. And some people just really pr- appreciate the straight content. Like one of my videos that a lot of people have said, this is my favorite video I ever did. It was just me sitting in front of the camera talking about, it was, it was my wife and I's anniversary. And I was just talking about our relationship and kind of our past and our history. And that was it. There was, like, no editing. I think I flew the drone out for the intro for, like, five seconds. And the rest of it was just me sitting there talking about us. And so many people loved that versus other people were like, oh, I love the way this, like, the cinematic stuff. So you got people that like either or or a combination of both. So Dude, that
0: my, my best performing video is the one that has the clickbait uh, negative title, How to Handle a Dangerous Python or my something My best
3: like performing that. video of the date is articulated python takes it has a massive bowel movement
0: <laughs> and
3: i put my own song i recorded a rap song called what is this crap <laughs> and i i use that as the track it's like what is this crap it's coming out your ass it's going really fast it's playing on the grass what is this
2: crap <laughs> and I, yeah this had this whole thing that's like a 1999 pod track right there. yeah that's kind of that's exactly what it sounded like <laughs>
1: That's a rabbit hole for you. That was a little rabbit hole you would get out of
0: <laughs> Brian does music
2: rabbit holes, which are fun.
0: He does. He likes to like edit people when they look goofy on camera, like taken out of context or a laugh track and edit it and put it to mu- make music out of it. So I've definitely I've watched him edit those and it's like he'll do the rest of the video and then he'll make you say (laughs) 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 it'll take an
3: hour to do that. It's like, geez, man, (laughs) if I can make myself laugh, if I watch the video and I'm laughing at myself and I'm laughing at what's happening, that's that's all it takes. man. I'm like this. Okay, this is a great video. It's good
1: because I'm laughing. There you go. And if you're laughing, most likely other people are laughing too. <laughs> That's
2: what they want. Like, at least out of, you know, if a thousand people watch it, you hope
1: you
0: hit some <laughs> of them.
1: Were you going to say one person laughs? <laughs> yeah, at least, you know, just a few people. <laughs>
0: The differences in comedic styling. I mean, Brian's got everybody that loved Dude Wears My Car is all over Brian's channel. <laughs> <laughs> <That's a demographic. laughs> oh ouch. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, one of our
1: fellow podcasters out there has a question that I feel like we should answer. Um, Evan.
2: <laughs> What's up, Evan? He said, Strengthen Leo's podcast.
1: Yes. Sorry. I should have said that specifically. Plug him up. Plug him up. That sounds weird. I will never say that again. Um, what's the best way to get the most productivity out of your day while still keeping your sanity?
2: Well, everyone here is fucking crazy. Clearly,
3: I was going to say that. Well, Garrett probably has the closest to sane brain of all. Still, at least he appears to. If you really get to know him, you'll find <laughs> out real soon that he's pretty out of touch with reality. But um, <laughs> oh man, if you go listen to our second podcast, I think it is that's going to come up. You'll get to hear how really ah, insane
0: pretty tired is, you know, I'm. Actually, like afraid of that one to come out because I don't remember it at all. I remember laying in a truck bed, talking to a microphone <laughs> hanging from the ceiling because i told brian i can't podcast standing up you gotta lay me down and put a mic on my mouth and then i'll podcast now. and he did
3: to date uh, best, best idea i've ever had in in uh, garrett hartle's
0: opinion i loved it i love you for that i I, uh, I like you twice as much because of that idea because of catering to me um To answer Evan's question, uh, honestly, there's there's so much stuff about getting more time. If you go to like the professional industry world, um, you know, especially sales and marketing is a lot of this because you have to be very creative and self-driven in sales and marketing. And a lot of people don't like people think of sales as like trying to convince somebody they need something, but that's not really it. It's about finding the the niche where the product that you have will make the biggest impact in the world and that's kind of a huge task and it's it's philosophical and everything else so anyway you have to stay creative you have to stay on your on your game and so if you follow some of the professional business world about time management strategies and you look it up i actually have like cards that i printed out that are based on Benjamin Franklin's time management strategy, and then I added my own twist to it. Um, so- but you can, <laughs> yeah, you. I, I have one. I'll show you one <laughs> if you want. But, but anyways, um, so the the biggest thing, honestly, is you'll have a million things coming at you every day. Well, at least I do. So I have to sit down in the morning. I have a routine, a daily routine that that relaxes you and gets your mind centered. So it's like cup of coffee. A lot of times. I don't want to blow up his head too much, but I'll, I'll turn on a Brian Cusco vlog because yes, and the, the less it has to do with reptiles, the better. It just kind of clears my mind. I love watching him with his family and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of reminds me of who I'm trying to be in that regard. And uh, so I'll just watch something or I, for me, it's like car stuff. I don't know anything about cars, but I love watching all the new reviews on the C8 Corvette, even though I'll never own one, you know, and things like that. Um, or, or, uh, you know, restoration vlogs with something totally unrelated and it clears your mind. I have my cup of coffee. I know bulletproof coffee is a big thing for a lot of the the professional businessmen and stuff. And, uh, and then you sit down and you schedule out the to do tasks for the day and the week in advance, take that time. And then the big thing that nobody does is at the end of the day, you need to review and and grade yourself on how well you did to meet the tasks of the day. And when you create a discipline and a habit out of that, you become a lot more effective and you can do two, three, and 10 times as much work as you were able to do when you were just running around reacting to everything.
2: Yes, and that is something that Melissa has made me do, like checklists and schedules, as far as like we actually like when you. It's huge, about, isn't it?
3: Yeah, this is the way best way to work. The best way to get it done. Yes, Look, I tell
1: him I cannot function without calendars. And when you have a million things going on, it's literally impossible. I have to have it on the calendar, or I will forget it. My brain cannot keep everything in it
2: and then i also prioritize that's what i've started doing so today it was like you know edit this do this do this do that and i put it in order of importance and i try to attack the most important thing first and then i go to the gym in the middle of the day i tend to be most productive in the morning and at night so that's like when all my creative stuff comes in and when i'm most disciplined for whatever reason after i you know in the morning i'm fresh i go to the gym that i'm kind of fresh again because i'm got all my anxieties out and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of different for everyone. I mean, like some people are morning people, night people. I think that's
3: mine. Yeah. Having a to do list is definitely something that'll help you keep your sanity.
0: This is actually this side right here is actually Ben Franklin's daily schedule. And he has more like blocks of times for things. And then I'll put in what I need to do. So I have different categories are create, maintain, reach out and my notes on the day. And then, you know, I'll sit down, I'll write them out, and then you can see where I highlighted or cross them off and things that don't get done get moved to the next day or put on the next week for that day. And then I have a weekly one where it's like Mondays, I I hit all my messages really hard because I don't answer customer messages as much as possible over the weekends. But Thursdays, I have to put a video out. You know, Fridays, I do a lot of follow-up, that kind of thing, so...
1: And I think it's finding the balance between holding yourself accountable, but not doing it to the point where it has an adverse effect.
2: Because we all have like enough work that we could fill up, you know, 20 hours and not sleep if we really wanted to. There's always stuff to do.
1: Right. And so you hold yourself accountable, but also you cannot – I think that's something Joe's working on a lot. Like when you – if you make that list, that's not saying you have to get everything done on that list today because then it – when you get so much in your head that you have to finish it all then you end up hurting yourself. And it's more. paralyzing and it's, to a right. certain
2: degree. Cause I'm like upset that I didn't get everything done.
1: And then it makes me not want to do more. And it just kind of snowballs. So I think allow you it,
0: guys should, you guys should actually check out Benjamin Franklin's one, because that's what it's all about. He puts, I have this much time for these type of tasks, this much time for these type of tasks. And that's why I split it with his is kind of just to remind me how to center myself at the beginning and the end of the day and how much time I should spend on each task. And then if you run out of time, you run out of time but it's time to do the next thing uh and then my to-dos are on the other side
3: it's perfect segue Uh, my boy came down about five minutes ago and told me that that dinner was ready and uh
2: that's we're we're over uh, time so of
3: the of the amount of the things that uh i keep on my list to do for the day um that's that's going to be the most important one today so
1: so definitely um as our final question if people want to reach out to both you we'll start with you brian where uh, is the best way for them to get in contact with you
3: um, email, I tried to check messages. Email is probably the best way. Becusco at me.com because uh, Instagram sometimes gets thrown under the rag and Facebook definitely does. I went back to try and find some Facebook messages and found some that I hadn't been in months since <laughs> that I had gotten them and just found them. So email is definitely the best way to go. It was becusco at me.com.
2: Right on. Garrett, where can people reach out to you?
0: You can email info at Reach Out Reptiles. You can send me a message to Garrett Hartle on Facebook. But uh, honestly, if you want to have a conversation the best way is the old-fashioned way, my phone number is 412-925-1933. Text or call if you have to, yeah.
1: Awesome. And if people want to reach out to us, it's Port City Pythons on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Our website where we have snakes and merch available is portcitypythons.com. And our email is theportcitypythons at gmail.com. Or if you live in the area, you can see us at the upcoming shows. Uh to Grace, September 7th. Oaks, Pennsylvania, September 14th. Yes.
2: And guys, check out the Searchable As Reptiles podcast, please. Garrett and Brian, I mean, it's just a super transparent podcast. And it really made me excited to see that you guys are equally as fallible as reptile breeders your- and <laughs> <laughs> as we all are. You know, it shows that you guys aren't superhuman in the same way that it also shows, you know, how good of people you are. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with us and for being here. Garrett, Brian, thank you. And for everyone else, thank you so much for being here as well. Thank you, we- you guys for thank having you us, guys. man. Thank
0: you. Yeah, absolute honor. As always, I love being on your guys' podcast. So no- I miss you guys. We need to hang out.
1: No tears.
0: Certainly. No tears this time. I'll get you next time. I'll get you next
3: time. I, when you started talking about watching my vlogs, I started to tear up a little bit, but I went and hid down the below real quick. So like, I figured
0: you would. He he, like made the picture big on me, and I was like, no, show Brian. Show Brian. I, I push him. I can make him
2: cry. You teared up in the first episode of Searchable as Reptiles as well.
0: yeah. I, He's pretty easy. Say, I mean, it's not I saying a lot. I, I like getting that. Melissa better. That's a little bit more of a challenge. Joe, one day, buddy, one
1: Whoa, day. I will love and, to see that. One. I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna
0: drop the perfect f bomb like I drop a mic, and Joe's just gonna lose it.
1: <laughs> He's gonna
0: cry at the sheer perfectness. <laughs> just wait. Just you wait. Oh gosh. I'm already thinking about it. It's on my to do list.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, bye, guys.
3: Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank
0: you. See ya.